despite knowing the journey and where it leads. I embrace it. And I welcome every moment of it. What is the most resilient parasite? A bacteria? A virus? An intestinal worm? An idea. Resilient, highly contagious. Once an idea has taken hold of the brain, it's almost impossible to eradicate. An idea that is fully formed, fully understood, that sticks. Right in there somewhere. I didn't ask for tea. Can take it out, please? Yes, I can take it out. It's a bit late now, isn't it? I'm taking it out. Yeah, but it's a bit late now, isn't it? But I'm taking it out. The tea is going out. The interruption is staying right here with me. Well, where were we? You were calling me a careerist, and I was calling you a loser. Right, well, those are your categories. No, those are your categories. You know, in, uh, in my experience, uh, the world's divided into two kinds of people. Those who divide the world into two kinds of people. And losers. The course of your relationship will be monitored closely by our staff and by me personally. If you encounter any problems, any tensions, any arguing that you cannot resolve yourselves, you will be assigned children. That usually helps. You turn around and put your hands behind your back. I don't think so. Your mistake is thinking you've got a goddamn choice, boy. Your mistake? Thinking you're in America. You're a long way from home. This is Brazil! You are probably going to be a very successful computer person. But you're going to go through life thinking that girls don't like you because you're a nerd. And I want you to know from the bottom of my heart that that won't be true. It'll be because you're an asshole. Were you rushing or were you dragging? I, I don't know. Start counting. Five, six, seven. In four, damn it! Look at me! One, two, three. One, two, three, one, two, three, four. Rushing or dragging? Rushing. So you do know the difference! I'll be seeing you soon, I hope. Ready to be done with this. You'll never be done with it, no matter what. It's gonna haunt you, son, for the rest of your days. But you won't be alone. It's gonna haunt me, too. Stop by, maybe I'll give you peace. Ah, uh, maybe. Maybe I'll give it to you. Spring break. Spring break. This is Oscar Dahl. I'm here with Matthew Knutson, and this is We Like Movies Special Edition 300th episode, Top Tens of 2010 through 2019. Uh, Matt, this is pretty exciting stuff. We did it. We made it. 300 episodes. Not a lot of podcasts can say that, buddy. Here, let's see if um, let's see if the mic picks this up. Ooh, yeah. <laughs> nice popping bottles gotta break out the bubbly for episode number 300 man <laughs> yeah you, you bought that on uh, episode one you've been keeping it ever since <laughs> exactly. just waiting for it yep i was gonna uh, pull my saber out and do it the old-fashioned way but uh, i decided <laughs> you wouldn't be able to hear the nice pop of the cork um we made it dude how about this what a long strange trip it's been happy 300 happy 300 to you it's almost a year's worth of podcast that's pretty crazy we technically started this thing in october of 2010 because i think that our first official we like movies sanctioned uploaded rss feed podcast was uh, the social network 
interestingly enough, which I'm sure will be a film that we talk about a couple times tonight. Absolutely. But do you want to just briefly sort of take us uh, down memory lane and and just remind people how this uh, crazy trip started? Because it actually predates the We Like Movies brand. We've we've technically been doing this since, I want to say, 2008, 2009? Yeah, I mean, I'm just looking up Watchmen when it came out. Came out March 6th, 2009. March 6th, 2009, I was working for a website called Buddy TV, where I was a, a writer and reviewer, and we were just getting into doing some movie stuff. And I pitched the idea of doing some uh, some podcasts for the site. And uh, you were my first call. And Watchmen, because it tied into kind of internet culture, seemed like a good start. And we ne- neither of us had ever done a podcast before. We don't think we'd done long-form audio recording. At least I hadn't. I mean, I'd done some interviews for for the website but uh podcasting was fairly new at the time so we figured we'd give it a go unfortunately i was fired from that job two months later but but it gave birth to something much more important right yes indeed (laughs) i think i recorded you over a speakerphone with one of those little mp3 audio recorders so i guarantee the sound quality is not good i've not tried to find that that whole podcast they 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 nuked the site recently oh wow but you know i i think i brought you on and we we were going to talk for 45 minutes i think we ended up talking for like an hour and a half i remember just taking to the form immediately maybe it's because i'm just naturally long-winded or or love the sound of my own voice but i remember vividly feeling like some sort of high some sort of just natural high being like "Ooh, i like this (laughs) i like the way this feels this works for me i want to continue to do this we recorded a couple more after that before we started we like movies legitimately right didn't we just do a couple little one-offs or we talked about i mean you, you obviously were doing some other stuff without me for for TV, right? I mean, you were, you were going to Comic-Con, you were covering yeah. Survivor and other TV shows. Well, because I, I had been doing a ton of just interviews over the phone, mostly with you know reality show people who had been kicked off the episode the night before. But I had done like some long form, like uh, sixty minute interviews with uh, with showrunners of TV shows. Like I did one with Josh Schwartz for sixty minutes, right? So like st- stuff like that. Nothing really, just sort of shooting the shit and talking about fun movie stuff with anybody. And I think before we actually got started, you know, we kept talking about it. I mean, there's you got to figure out how to do this RSS feed stuff and get the website. Like that, that was the biggest hurdle I think for us. And at the time, there was a pretty decent sized barrier to entry. I mean, it wasn't a a big expense or anything but i remember you having to kind of like teach yourself how to set things up i want to say it was wordpress at the time we've since migrated over to squarespace and uh we'd be happy to take you on as a sponsor squarespace if you're interested (laughs) we can give out (laughs) promo codes i was just sitting at work one day and all of a sudden i started getting just just a bunch of emails from you back to back okay i bought a a domain okay i started this site okay i've named it this okay i've started an rss feed i remember being so impressed like all right here we go there was no hand wringing over the name it was your idea you came up with it pretty quickly i was uh, immediately on board with it because there was just a beauty in the simplicity of it Mm -hmm. um it is important to uh, point out that there actually is a podcast out there called we hate movies they maybe predate us by months but i gotta i'm pretty sure we're just about the same age and uh, i'm not necessarily comparing us to them they have a much bigger following they they you know tour the country and uh, they're much more sort of like comedy centric they um they're all about watching bad movies and kind of making fun of them which is a 
perfectly cool model. But uh, I just want to say I'm a big fan of their podcast, and I appreciate the fact that we are two sides of the same coin, at least as far as naming <laughs> conventions go. But it was certainly never our intention to ride their coattails. The We Like Movies thing was 100% your idea and was just you trying to come up with something that was simple and catchy and straightforward, correct? Yeah, not only that, but also sort of embodied, you know, I think both of our sort of outlook on movies. I, you know, I don't think either of us are, are very cynical movie watchers. Like, I go into every movie, no matter what, trying to enjoy that movie. Because why else would you go and try to, you know, see a piece of entertainment? Yeah, so, whether it's McGee uh, or Michael Bay or M. Night Shyamalan, I still want to enjoy it. I want it to be good. I'm not, I'm not out there, like, hoping that someone's going to fail. I, th- I think we try yeah. to embody a spirit of, of positivity on this podcast above all things. Absolutely. I mean, we, we like the pretentious stuff and we like the schlock just the same. And I think that we have kind of pivoted in the last year or so towards becoming something that is celebratory, you know, starting new series, doing retrospectating, doing more AFI stuff, um, doing oeuvre. Like, this is about us wanting to celebrate as opposed to, um, you know, hand ring. And, you know, and for the longest time, we would just try to cover everything. We would just try to see as much as possible. We would try to keep up. And at the end of the day, we're never going to be a pop culture website that, you know, we're never going to be Slash Film. We're never going to be the AV Club. We're never going to be the Hollywood Reporter. We're, we're not going to keep up with this kind of stuff. We're not going to be your first line of defense when you want to hear about the new Avengers film and whether or not you should go see it. That's just never going to be our brand. So we've sort of pivoted into like worrying less about um, telling you how bad, you know, Deadpool 2 is and more into, <laughs> hey, let's look back at the career of John McTiernan and celebrate some of his, uh, you know, forgotten works, right? Absolutely. A, we don't have press passes, so that makes things difficult. <laughs> Although we should apply. We've, we talked about that. I think we might be able to get them. Who knows? Yeah. Uh, but also, you want that sweet evergreen content, Matt. You know? <laughs> you, you don't want to be obsolete five days after you record it. So, Absolutely. Um, no, but but yeah, I, I think this is a great direction, and I'm enjoying rewatching old movies and trying to find little niches for, for our different series. It's It's been a lot of fun, and you know, I think that will be... Uh, That'll be what we hang our hats on over the next 10 years and next 300 episodes. And if you listen and you like this, you know, we don't do too many calls to action, but I think perhaps we should do more because we obviously want to increase our listenership and we're incredibly honored and humbled by not just the guests who have contributed to this episode as well as their their original appearances, but also to the people who listen and who reach out and who comment and who donate. We've even had some some donators on our site. And if you're ever inclined to do so, you can go to welikemovies.com and there's a donate page and just, uh, you know, spread the word. I know it's I know it's kind of a cliche and it's a little obnoxious to have to do the hat in hand call to action thing but um we want to keep doing this and we want to be able to maintain the site and there is an expense uh, associated with all of this which we're you know we're happy to underwrite because we've enjoyed doing this for a long time and i could see this sort of going on indefinitely yeah please spread the word and and help us out if you like this let us know because we love hearing from you all right matt so, so t- today's episode this is gonna be fun you and i have ranked our top 10 movies of the 2010s but we've also brought on, what, we have nine, nine of our past guests, or is it nine or ten, Matt? Ten people total. We've, we've been, people total, we've been yeah. lucky enough to have convinced uh, ten of our friends over the course of the last nine plus years and, and 299 episodes 
to uh, come on and, and rap with us. And I'm very, very happy, very elated to say that every single one of them <laughs> agreed to be a part of this, that we haven't burned any bridges with any of these guests yet. That's nice. So um, we've got nine of them um, submitted recordings of themselves for their top 10 episodes. Kendall Horn was just a little too busy the last couple weeks and uh, and just couldn't find the time to do it. But she still submitted her list which is great. Um, but I just want to say, like, for all these guests who were so good to basically turn this around, put this together, record themselves, submit, basically with about a week's notice, um, everybody did such a great job. They all sound great. They're all enthusiastic. And we just have a really nice breadth. We just have a really nice variety. I mean, part of the reason that I was so excited about reaching out to these 10 guests is that we have a nice variety of friends who come from different walks of life and different perspectives and, you know, not necessarily all quote unquote industry types, you know, not all explicit cinephiles, but all with really, really great tastes and really interesting cinematic perspectives. So I was, I've yeah. just been so heartened over the course of the last couple of days listening to all these and being like, oh man, I'm so, I feel so lucky to know these people. <laughs> I love, I love listening <laughs> to their opinions. Yeah. It's fun. It's fun seeing where people overlap and where you and I overlap with them. And, uh, there's some really surprising, uh, you know, double entry <laughs> movies on these lists yeah. and some, some surprising omissions as well. So it's, uh, it's gonna be fun, and, and we'll we'll play every audio clip before we discuss everyone's list, and then we'll get into ours. But before that, Matt, do you have any sort of general thoughts that you can uh, speak to and say thirty seconds to a minute about a decade of film? I mean, I I feel like this decade has been somewhat fraught. Is that a is that a halfway decent word for where we're at at this point? I mean, fraught, transitional, transitional. Sure, yeah. I mean, I personally have have gone through many different transitions over the course of the last <laughs> ten years. Uh, I, I've had a, a particularly fraught decade myself, just personally. Uh, there's been a lot of school involved. There's been a lot of. Um, you know, sort of humbling experiences. Uh, this this last year, the, the just 2019 itself has been one of the most surreal and and strangest years of in my 37 years of existence. But um, but I think the films kind of reflect that. There's there's a lot of um, there's a lot of anxiety for sure in these films. There there's not a lot of comedies to speak of in these lists. There's a lot of incredible. Uh, works of art, and there's a lot of filmmakers sort of coming into their own, but uh, but there's also definitely s- some darkness to a lot of this. Yeah, a lot of darkness, a lot of NUE, a lot of, like you said, social anxiety, uh, a lot of movies of the moment that, that feel absolutely right to be on this list. Uh, a lot of excellent auteurs to be found on this list, you know? I like to shoehorn in our sort of lamenting of... Uh, you know, no more middle budget movies. And, you know, if you look at the 90s, their top 10 lists are full of movies with 20, 30, 40 million dollar budgets. And, you know, I'm not seeing a lot of that. It's either sort of low 10, 15 indie movies or it's kind of big budget films on here or it's well-known beloved auteurs who are found on here. So, uh, you know, I'm not sure how different these lists would be if we had more types of movies like like I'm talking about, the middle budget stuff. But looking back, there's a whole hell of a lot of great films. It was a it was very trying trying to uh, put together this list. And my short list, Matt, was up to like 65 movies. And then my honorable mentions are 20 movies long. So this was, you know, I, I really labored over this thing. Yeah, it sounds like we all kind of did like the, the overwhelming response that I've had from our contributors is that this was very very difficult to do which made me very happy to hear you know it means yeah. people were taking it very seriously you know this last decade has also been the decade of of Marvel and Disney right 
and yeah. of the you know the coming of the new Lucasfilm and sort of the onslaught of the, the franchise uh, hegemony. And I got to say, I don't know if it's because our contributors were actively sort of pushing back against that revolution, but there is not that many. I mean, there are franchise films on these lists. I mean, I, I see a few of them, and a few of them are films that I personally agree with and, and respect. But for the most part, it seems like, um, even though I would I would definitely say the majority of these picks are what, what I would consider mainstream. You know, lots of lots of American films for sure. I don't see a lot of I don't see as much franchise representation as I as one perhaps would have expected given where this last decade has gone in terms of uh, you know populist filmmaking. So I, yeah. I, don't, I don't think it's the, because we got a bunch of snobs on this list necessarily, but we do have a lot of people uh, with, with very good taste who obviously want to you know search for more of the auteur driven stuff. Perhaps. Yeah, and that makes me happy. I mean, I'm looking at all the lists. I think there's one slash two Marvel movies on here and one other comic book movie. But besides that, it's yeah, it's 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 pretty it's pretty much uh, auteur, maybe more highfalutin stuff, even if the if it is uh, big budget franchise things. I've got all sorts of like stats and figures and stuff in front of me, but um, there are no filmmakers who have more than two films represented on these lists. So. I see two Christopher Nolan movies, two Wes Anderson movies, two David Fincher movies, two Denis Villeneuve films, two Yorgos Lanthimos films, and two films from the Russo brothers. So obviously we are um, a little bit slanted towards uh, towards you know white males, and uh, hopefully in the next decade we can diversify a little bit. Yeah, that kind of kind of made me sick to realize that that was my top ten, Matt. I'll, I'll be honest with you. I mean, you got to be but, true uh, to yourself in terms of just the things that you respond to and the things that are are important to you. So, but but obviously there are a number of things happening in the world in terms of festivals and the Academy diversifying and just in general population of moviegoers and cinephiles asking for more more diversity in uh, in the artists who are allowed to make films at a certain level yeah that's good and that hopefully means that we can um you know spread the wealth a little bit in the next decade and hopefully diversify Absolutely. a list like this and, and the and the kinds of filmmakers who are represented all right well should we get started with the list matt yeah let's do it uh there there is not necessarily a rhyme or reason to the order of contributors that we're going to roll out uh, it started chronologically and then it sort of became biographical and then it became about length and uh, it ended up just being sort of something that i curated myself so it's kind I think of the we order gotta, you put it into the spreadsheet it's fine yeah yeah i think we got a nice order here and and um yeah, why don't you uh, get us started by uh, introducing our first... Our first list is uh, by a good pal of mine. He's my brother, Anders. Uh, I long think he first brother. came off. Long time brother. Uh, since the beginning, really. Uh, and he, uh, I think he first came on to talk about Thor. He's one of our two Marvel experts with Ryan Julio as well. But uh, yeah, he's been on a few times to talk Marvel films. And he's in our Fantasy Film League. And he's got... Uh, He's got a very interesting comic book heavy, but uh, still uh, respectable list. So let's cue it up. Hello there. Uh, my name is Anders Dahl. I am host Oscar's uh, dirtbag little brother and uh, notable uh, enthusiast of comic book films and other films made for uh, teens and tweens. Here are my top 10 movies of the decade of the 2010s. Number 10, the all-time classic and the second best SNL film of all time, MacGruber. Number 9. 
uh, one of my favorite reboots of all time and uh, just an excellent film overall and I'm a big Stallone guy. Creed. Number eight, arguably the best animated movie of the decade and the best representation of Spider-Man ever put on film, Into the Spider-Verse. Number seven, great Tom Cruise sci-fi flick that uh, really has held up well, Edge of Tomorrow. Number six, the final performance by Hugh Jackman in his iconic role and one of my favorite comic book movies uh, ever made, Logan. Cheating a little bit for number five, I have decided to put Avengers Infinity War slash Endgame as kind of one cohesive story. Just the narrowest of threads to make sure that both of those movies worked with all the characters and stories to balance and, uh, you know, emotional, emotionally resonance all the same. Uh, number four, uh, my favorite Tarantino flick, uh, Inglorious Bastards. Uh, number three, Whiplash. Great, great, great film. J.K. Simmons, one of my favorite performances of the decade. Uh, number two, I'm sure this is on everybody's list, uh, Mad Max, Fury Road, best action movie maybe ever made and my favorite film of the last decade which i think uh it's just well shot well acted and speaks to kind of where uh modern america is these days hell or high water congrats on uh 10 years and 300 episodes guys and thanks for making me a part of this think we should break it to anders that inglorious bastards actually came out in 2009 and technically doesn't qualify for this so this idiot i uh I texted him after he sent him the list, and I told him, you know, great, you sounded good, great list, however, I regret to inform you that Inglourious Bastards is a 2009 film. And he was pissed, and he didn't want to re-record it, rightfully, because he, he kind of nailed it. Yeah. Uh, however, he said we could make fun of him for it. I mean, he's not wrong uh, that Inglourious Bastards certainly deserves to, uh, to to be a member of any... Be on a list, yes. To be on a list, yeah, just not this particular list. It missed it by one year. You know, Inglourious Bastards notwithstanding i mean technically he also squeezed in an extra there he squeezed infinity war into that so you could you could theoretically just switch out just swap out an infinity war for um, inglorious bastards right and still have a 10 film list that's true so there are 10 legitimate films on this list it is a cheat to call that one <laughs> those two movies one six hour endeavor but yeah i mean it does feel like my brother, I mean, we have a few movies in common when it comes to my list, but do you think there's anything terribly egregious in here, Matt? You know, I'm, I'm going to be, I'm going to try my best to not be a bit of a broken record uh, <laughs> over the course of this when it comes to my uh, complete lack of interest in Mad Max Fury Road. Like that movie just, it's just beyond me. I just, I just don't get it. <laughs> I've never gotten it, but I am very much in the minority when it comes to that. This is a beloved film that is featured uh, on many of these lists, so far be it for me. I did my best to try to avoid all of the top 10, top 100 lists that have been coming out recently for, for the decade before I finished my list, and I was, I mean, I guess not too surprised, but pretty surprised that Fury Road was number one on a ton of people's best of the decade list, which is heartening for me because I think it's an absolute masterpiece and might be the best action movie of all time. I think Matt's completely insane. <laughs> um, but, but it's... It, I, I'm just glad we're we're that accepting of of a straight up action movie, which is which is pretty cool. Nominated for best picture, it still blows my mind to say that Mad Max, the fifth film in the Mad Max franchise, the movie that followed up Beyond Thunderdome, was nominated for goddamn best picture. I'll just never. I'll, it's just crazy to say that out loud. Uh, well, it deserved it. That's why <laughs> uh, it's the best Mad Max. That's why. Um, <laughs> You know, I, I tried to find a place for Logan on my list. I think this is the only person who has it on their list, but uh, I just I, I couldn't squeeze it in. I think it is one of the best comic book movies, top two or three comic book movies of all time. MacGruber, 
spoiler, we may be talking about that later as well. <laughs> There's a couple people who sat it off on the thread over the last couple of days who uh, wanted to remind us that MacGruber did come out over the course of the last 10 years, lest we forget. So yes, we this is this is not the only, this will not be the last time we talk about MacGruber. Uh, and I believe this is the only mention of Edge of Tomorrow or Creed as well. Uh, I think Creed's a pretty damn good movie. Probably is not my top 50. And Edge of Tomorrow is a pretty... Pretty excellent, uh, almost flawless action movie. Yeah, and you know, I, I just got done talking about how um, there doesn't seem to be that many franchise films, or at least that many Marvel films, on these lists. Anders is probably the one that's that's heaviest, um, and that's not that's not meant as a criticism. It's just interesting to look and see it. Mad Max franchise, uh, Infinity War and Game, obviously franchise. Logan franchise, Edge of Tomorrow soon to be a franchise, I believe. Mm-hmm. Spider-Man yeah. into the Spider-Verse franchise, Creed franchise, MacGruber should have been a franchise. Yes, <laughs> it, was, it was setting up. A there's franchise. still there's still hope. Still, still hope, hope for it. Yeah. So no, I appreciate it. I I really enjoyed this list. I appreciate Anders' tastes. All right. Well, should we go uh, to our next entrant, Matt? Yes, my dear friend uh, Laura Crow, who came on, I believe, originally onto our AFI Titanic episode. And yep. then, um, actually, that's not true. She and I recorded a podcast years earlier, just the two of us, sort of in my apartment in Venice, just sort of like talking about podcast philosophy. And um, for a number of reasons, that episode is kind of lost to time. But uh, she came back to talk about Titanic. She also came back to discuss her favorite film of all time, Billy Wilder's The Apartment. Yeah, she's just one of my favorite people. She's always been one of my favorite people to talk about movies with. Was lucky enough to get to hang out with uh, both of you in Seattle earlier this year. Few people in this world make me laugh as hard as uh, Laura Crow. So let's give it a listen. Hello, this is Laura Crow coming at you with some uh, lists here. And disclaimer, this is before I have seen A Beautiful Day in the Neighborhood. I am seeing that tonight, so that was not included in my decision making. I've compiled two lists, one my emotional best favorites, and another one, the best best, according to me. So in descending order, starting with my emotional best, so just ones that just I love for no rhyme or reason, made me feel great. Maybe there was many rhymes and reasons, but who cares? I love these and they spoke to me and they hit a chord of my emotional best. In descending order, number 10, Twilight Breaking Dawn Part 2. Number 9, Twilight Breaking Dawn Part 1. Number 8, Inside Out. Number 7, 8th Grade. Number 6, Francis Ha. Number 5, About Time. Number 4, Drive, number three, La La Land, number two, Bridesmaids, and number one, Force Majeure. Now, thinking long and long and hard about all of the movies that came out, I have decided on my top 10 best best, according to me, in descending order. Number 10, Silver Linings Playbook. Number nine, Melancholia. Number eight, Anna Karenina. Number seven, The Artist. Number six, Beast of the Southern Wild. Number five, Big Short. Number four, Tree of Life. Number three, Boyhood. Number two, Arrival. And number one, Beginners. All right, guys, thanks for letting me participate. Happy movie watching. I like her cheating and doing the two lists. I think that's that's good, clever shit. Uh, <laughs> I don't appreciate Twilight being involved at all. <laughs> I don't want to hurt your feelings, Laura, but let's keep Twilight out of this. The heart wants what it wants, man. I know, that's that's fair. But her, her best of list is uh, it's pretty diverse and pretty interesting. I was so big on Beasts of the Southern Wild in 2012. I think I had it number one. For whatever reason, it hasn't called me back to rewatch it. Doing these lists is, can be unfair to the movies in the first half of the decade, just because time. But I, I'm really due for, for a rewatch on that. It's the only appearance for Melancholia on anyone's list that was on my short list and is in my honorable mentions that movie i think is 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 just a beautiful 
depressing, weird masterpiece. Visually the best movie of Lars, Van Tr- Lars von Trier's career. I'm upset that I couldn't couldn't find it on. Same with The Big Short. Big Short, I think, was my number one movie of 2015. Yep. I think it's as important now as it was then. Barely missed my list as well. Tree of Life is a movie that did not barely miss my list. But uh, <laughs> it's, it's a movie that you have quite a quite an affection for. Yeah. I do. I do. I love, I love Late Period Malik. That will not be the last time that we hear from the tree of life also i gotta say i appreciate the appreciation for the artist that that's a movie that no one has any love for (laughs) like it is it is one of those best picture winners that uh, never gets talked about and people look back and they're like oh that was a mistake that should have been hugo or it should have been the descendants or should have been moneyball well maybe it should absolutely should not have been hugo maybe it should have been moneyball but i loved i loved the artist I've, i've i've watched it relatively recently and i think it's fantastic and i appreciate laura sticking up for it i agree i mean it's not one of those best picture winners that we should make fun of. I feel like it has been lost to time a little bit and it's been ignored, but this is not a crash situation. Agreed. Uh, our, our next lister, our old pal, one of my oldest friends, Scott Henderson, he's been on, he was on a post Oscars episode. What, what else has Scott been on in terms of the podcast? Scott hosted our 2011 Oscar party which would have been the first oscars that we covered after the beginning of the site right because we started in 2010 he he hosted that party in uh, march of of 2011 i guess and he hosted us he contributed and he has also been the most frequent commenter on our site which i really appreciate and when i the, the couple of times that i've forgotten to turn the comment action on on one of our web pages scott is the first one to call me on it and he's always presuming that there's some sort of uh, ulterior motive to me not wanting to allow anybody to, uh, you know, to comment on it. And no, it's just me just being lazy or being um, flaky and forgetting to check that box. So I got to say, he, he he reaches out all the time. He's always very vocal. He's always very engaged. Feels like he is definitely one of our WLM super fans. And that really means a lot to me. <laughs> like, I'm so glad to have Scott with us. His his opinion, I find to be so interesting and unprecedented in all things this is a man with strong convictions he will let you know about them sometimes they're out of nowhere he backs them up he's got strong arguments for everything so let's uh let's give his list a listen okay scott henderson here's my top 10 of the decade controversial 10th choice i'm going with mcfarland usa 2015 bounce back film for kevin costner good second half of the decade for costner and he was fantastic in this movie uh it's heartwarming tale if you haven't seen it it's a little bit like remember the titans but uh cross-country uh mexican-american sort of tale uh number nine also might not be on many's list but i'm going lincoln lawyer 2011 uh metacritic 63 uh this is the start of the reconnaissance the most important actor of the early decade clearly mcconaughey and i think this movie got it going for him best courtroom movie of the decade and it introduced me to michael conley who's my favorite current author uh number eight i'm going Going Molly's Game, Aaron Sorkin's first directed film, Metacritic 71, 2017, Gambling, Courtroom, Skiing, Cleveland,
Cleavage. It's just a great movie all around. Love it. I uh, love the book, too. I'd recommend uh, getting the book. It's a little bit different. Uh, number seven, I'm going Best Documentary of the Decade, Free Solo, Metacritic 83, 2018. Love the protagonist, uh, Alex Honnold. Love that scene where after he's finished with his big run, he goes back to the hanging board after the most intense day of his life. Number six, I'm going Booksmart, Best uh, Rom-Com of the Decade, Best High School Movie of the Decade. Love that genre, and I think it's the best of it. 2019, Metacritic 84, Olivia Wilde's first movie. Whiplash, number five, my favorite Damien Chazelle movie, slightly better than La La Land. Uh, 2014, Metacritic 88, uh, it's a Teller and Simmons are just awesome in that. The intensity of it, love it. Another intense, intense movie is Nightcrawler. That's my number four, 2014, Metacritic 76, Dan Gilroy directed. Love Gyllenhaal, Paxton, Russo, and that other guy. Love how Gilroy redeems Russo after burying her in the awful uh, Two for the Money, which should have been good but wasn't but nightcrawler is a very intense movie and I, I think about it often uh number three only seen it once very bleak movie but damn good is a uh, short term 12 destin daniel credin 2013 metacritic 82 i also like manchester at the sea if you're going kind of sad movies but i, I prefer short term 12 opposite of that one of the most fun movies of the decade i'm going fast five number two justin lynn 2011 uh the there were some good M Mission Impossibles. I enjoyed Fast 6, but this is by far the best action movie of the decade, if not all time. Fast 5 is really one of the greatest movies of all time. Should be added to the AFI Top 100 immediately. Uh, another movie that I'm sure will eventually end up in that top uh, 100 of AFI, probably much more likely, is The Social Network, David Fincher, 2010, Metacritic 95. Uh, by far, the critics agree with this one the most of mine. I'm sure it's on your other list. Uh, just an excellent, excellent movie. I so appreciate his brevity. <laughs> like, there's <laughs> a man who, like, had, he had a mission. He knew exactly where he was going. He was prepped. He was locked and loaded. Uh, thank you, Scott, for just for mowing through it, and uh, and also for including your uh, for including uh, Metacritic scores. He's the only one who uh, who yeah. included um, aggregate uh, critic scores. So I, I appreciate that. It's, it's almost like him kind of you know backing up his lists with uh, with critical responses. Yeah, and I appreciate the inclusion of of Fast Five. I you know if you make the argument that that's the best action movie of all time, I'm not going to have uh, a lot to say. That's you know it's, it's extremely valid. Um you know this this list has uh, is one of the few lists that has a movie I haven't seen, and that's McFarland USA. Have you seen yeah. that movie, Matt? I, I have not. Um, I probably should have put together, I will put together a list of everything that's involved in any of these lists that I, I mean, there's only, a, I'm, I'm, happy, I'm very proud to say there's only a handful, but um, that is definitely one of them. And if Scott endorses it, then I'll put it on my short list. Lincoln Lawyer, that's a, you know, that, that, that's a tasty little movie it's the uh, uh, it's the nominal beginning of the reconnaissance right yes yeah indeed it is free solo uh you know scott says best documentary of the decade it's you know i i think there are a handful that might be a little bit better but it was on my top 10 last year absolutely me too book smart this year uh it's a movie i love it might may very well sneak into my top 10 this year and then the rest it's uh, you know I, i'm not gonna argue with any of that i think short term 12 is an underrated classic nightcrawler is is as evocative and as thrilling a movie as you're gonna see you know social network scott sort of has a very 
out of the box opinions. And then number one is sort of right smack dab in the middle of, of where, what everyone seems to be thinking these days. Yeah. And, and short term 12, I was talking to somebody about this the other day, short term 12, what an incredible cast Destin Daniel Cretton managed to compile for that, right? I mean, when you really think about where everybody in that cast has gone, you obviously got Brie Larson at the center of it, who I, who, who won an Oscar, what, two years after Short Term 12? I mean, she wasn't a nobody, but you know, to go from that to winning an Oscar for Room a couple years later is, is pretty unprecedented. You got Lakeith Stanfield, who makes you know four movies a year now, and is sort of considered yeah. to be amongst the most exciting actors of his generation. You got Rami Malek, who also has hardware now. <laughs> he won a freaking mm-hmm. Oscar for Best Actor last year. Um, and then you got Caitlin Deaver, who is in the aforementioned Booksmart, uh, yeah. who's a total scene stealer in that film. Like, really, if you're Dustin Daniel Cretton, you got to be patting yourself on the back for compiling all of this talent in such a small film, right? Yeah, great eye for talent and uh, an absolutely terrific movie. What do you think of the Molly's Game inclusion here, Matt? Yeah, that's a very Scott pick, and I don't mean that as a slight, uh, <laughs> but that is very on brand. Big Sorkin guy. Yeah, sure. very on brand. Big Sorkin guy, big poker guy, big skiing guy. I guess that that would that would make sense, <laughs> right? <laughs> yeah, I'm, sure. I, I can't tell you how excited I am for the trial of the Chicago Seven next year. Uh, Sorkin's yeah. next film. I just I, that was something Spielberg was circling for many many years. I think he's still on as a producer. I think that is right in Sorkin's wheelhouse. It's going to come out in an election year. I am so goddamn excited. I'm so happy to have Aaron Sorkin on my fantasy film list team. All right, you want to introduce our next one, Matt? My good friend Candace Nachman Nee Knutson came on our podcast in 2013, I believe. Uh, she was still Candace Knutson. She's since uh, married talented gentleman named Robert Nachman, great DP. So now she's Candace. Nachman. She's just somebody who uh, who I went to film school with, who I always kind of like sparred with and disagreed with, but always had so much affection for and respect for. And we just we just always had a really nice relationship as collaborators, but also as people who can spar and who can disagree on things and yet still always come together with our affection for one another. And uh, and she came on for our Hunger Games Catching Fire episode a number yeah. of years ago. And I feel like she she contributed admirably. I mean, I just have so much respect for her opinion, but I also expect her to be somewhat outside the box. Hey, We Like Movies fans. I'm Candace Nachman. You might remember me from the past episode where I was the quote-unquote Hunger Games expert. I think I wasn't so much an expert as I was just the only one of Matt's friends to read the book series. (laughs) But either way, I was honored. And now I have the great pleasure of listing my top 10 movies from the last 10 years. Making this list was insanely difficult and there's so many great honorable mentions I wish I could talk about but here we go. In my number 10 spot I have the documentary film He Named Me Malala. It's such an incredible story and it's so well put together. The fact that Guggenheim was still able to take this heroic and amazing larger than life figure and still show her as a 17 year old girl who is in love with soccer players is amazing. Number nine, I have to say it, I might get shit for this, but it's the Lego movie. Uh, One of the best animated films I've seen in a long, long time. Absolutely hysterical. And it's a movie that I have watched over and over again with or without children present. After that, I would say at number eight is 
phantom thread. Who doesn't love PTA, first of all? Second of all, that party scene is enough to make the top 10. It's just absolutely gorgeous, darkly funny, and totally brilliant. At number seven, I also chose Ex Machina. Everything that sci-fi films should represent, plus Oscar Isaac is incredibly good looking. At number six, I loved the movie Eighth Grade. I thought it was a perfect time capsule. The performances were amazing. So nice to see films with a female voice, even though it wasn't directed by a female, but still a very strong, beautiful female voice that isn't glorifying sex or violence and just, yeah, an absolutely perfect film. Coming in number five, Drive. I realize now that that rhymes. This is just a movie that to me is just such a quintessential Hollywood film. You have hunky, Ryan Gosling, great music, badass drive sequences. It's just, it's just a good movie. And number four, Moonlight. I had the incredibly lucky fortune to see this film premiere in Telluride and I was just so moved and taken aback and I got to talk to Mahershala Ali who's like the nicest guy ever and it's just an absolutely gorgeous film. At number three, I chose At Eternity's Gate. It's a movie that I think not many people saw but Willem Dafoe playing Vincent Van Gogh is just out of control. The cinematography is bold, the structure is amazing, and I just thought it was such an overlooked film, but it made such a profound impact on me. And number two, another film that I think is not really well known, but it has to be like the best documentary I've ever seen, and that is Shirkers. Uh, I literally don't want to say anything about this film you just have to watch it don't watch any trailers don't learn anything it's so much better the less you know going into it but it's just it boggles the mind how they were able to take all the material that they did and create this story from it it's just absolutely incredible and number one for me is the writer chloe Zhao just directs and makes movies how i want to direct and make movies and the writer is just this like pure example of what storytelling and cinema can be like blurring lines between documentary scripted fiction it's just outstanding and it was my favorite film of the year when I saw it and it's remained my favorite film and I really hope more people see it because I think it deserves an even wider audience. So that concludes my top 10. Thanks again for having me. I'm really excited for the next decade of films. Okay, thank you. That is a hell of a list. Yep, told you it'd be, uh, it'd be outside the box. Yeah, I mean, a lot of wild cards in here. I, I'm, I'm ashamed to say I have not seen The Rider or At Eternity's Gate. I feel like a real low-class individual, real Philistine. Real Philistine, yeah. You know, I heard great things about The Rider, and it is sort of a, like you said, it, it, it's half film, half uh, docudrama, right? Yeah, it's, great, it's sort of a weird movie. combination of both. Shirkers is 
such a fascinating, crazy, insane movie. And, and she's absolutely right. We shouldn't say anything about it because you should see it on your own and sort of discover it. I love seeing Ex Machina on here. That was also one of my honorable mentions on my short list. Yeah, me too. It it, it broke my heart to not be able to include Ex Machina because I absolutely adore that movie. Yeah, and same with Drive and same with Moonlight. I'm, I'm, I'm in total agreement with all, almost everything on here. You know, I'm not the biggest Lego movie guy. Really? I certainly, well, I, I, I like it fine. I saw it in the theater. I laughed. I laughed less the the second time I watched it at home. But I really, yeah, I really like it. I don't think it's the best animated movie of the decade, but it's certainly worthy. I, I, I understand it. But part of the fun of putting together lists like this, and one of the things that I respect so much about contributors like Candace is that she can have a heavy documentary like he named me Malala right next to the Lego movie. Right. Yeah. I mean, that's <laughs> yeah. significant that Candace is the only contributor who has multiple documentaries on her list. Yeah, respect. Yeah, so I was actually, I was a little bit disappointed how few documentaries were represented. Not not that I'm, you know, calling us out or chiding us, but, but there was actually only five documentaries uh, in all of our lists that were included. I think it's been a great decade for documentaries. You know, it's tough because they just don't tend to inspire quite as much passion with few exceptions, right? Like so much respect, but not necessarily passion. Yeah, there were a couple that I had on my list that ultimately got bumped off. But yeah, this has been an incredible decade for documentaries. It's not a coincidence that it's happened with the rise of streaming media. And there's just simply more well-funded documentaries out there than there ever have been before, which is great. You know, I'm glad people are being allowed to discover documentaries and they don't have to get big theatrical releases to get made. Great list by Candace. So next up is um, Ryan Julio. First came on as uh, as a guest on our Ant-Man episode, I want to say. Uh, yeah, that sounds right. Obviously, Marvel super fan, longtime friend of ours. We all went to college together. I find his list to be very, very considered and not quite what I was expecting from him. But I got to say, there's also a lot of overlap with my list, which I think speaks to, uh, you know, what good friends we are and the kinds of things that we respond to. Because uh, along with yourself and Brian Barini, who we'll get to a little later on this list, he's definitely one of the people who I can say I've spent the most time in my life watching movies with. Like, if I really crunch the numbers about people that I've spent the most time <laughs> watching movies with, talking about movies with, the short list has got to be you, Ryan, and Brian. Yeah, let's hear what he has to say. Hey everyone, Ryan Julio here to give you my top 10 of the 2010s. Number 10 is Coco. Coco is the best movie because it always makes me ugly cry at the end with the song Remember Me. That's a lot coming from a studio that seems to be specifically trying to make the entire audience hashtag ugly cry every time. I'll just say that the last time I tried to even play this song for my kid, I had to stop because I started crying. I love this song and it's one of my favorite Pixar movies in a long, long time. Uh, number nine is The Trip. I know this seems like a very contrarian addition to the list. This movie just really speaks to me. Um, I think it's one of the best movies about food ever made. Uh, so much so that my wife and I planned our honeymoon around several of the restaurants they featured in the movie and I in turn had some of the best meals of my life. It's also just about friends driving around talking about movies and listening to music. I mean, what else do you need? Number eight is Into the Spider-Verse. It's, I think, the best comic book movie ever made, period. This is the movie that makes it feel like you're reading a comic book and the joy you can have with it. Simply amazing and I've never seen anything that looks like it. Number seven, Ghost Story. I was really late in the game watching Ghost Story, I had been putting it off for a while because I knew it was going to be really, really heavy, and it sure enough was really, really 
heavy. But now, uh, the more I rewatch it, it's still really intense, but it has a sort of ambient calming feeling to other movies that I really like, especially when you're hungover or tired. It's just sort of an ambient film you can kind of put on the background, and it's nice to, like a nice warm hug you can just kind of put on and get a little bit emotionally invested in and just kind of be calm with its deliberate nature. And I, it's really grown in esteem for me over the last couple of viewings. Number six, Raid Redemption. I know a lot of people are going to put Mission Impossible or John Wick as far as the new paradigm for action movies, but in my opinion, The Raid Redemption is not only the best action film of the 2010s, it may be the most important action film of the 21st century. I like to compare this film to the design aesthetic of brutalist minimalism. The building it's in is a brutalist minimalism style of architecture. The minimalist way that the plot and action beats just are ridiculously propulsive, to use a Oscar favorite word. Lastly, the ridiculous brutalism of the Silat fight style and how those are shot is just ridiculously effective. Uh, number five, Under the Skin. This movie has so much going on and I think it kind of goes beyond the whole high horror thing that we have going on right now. It's just really beautiful. It's super dark. It's incredibly unnerving and thought-provoking. Once you watch it a couple times, it's crazy to think that they even have the whole non-actor part in it. It's just an amazing movie that continues to get better every time and Mika Levy's score is also just one of my favorites of the decade. Number four is Her. This movie has replaced Eternal Sunshine for my hopeless romantic comedy go-to. I just love how affecting and amazing that Joaquin Phoenix is in this, and it's probably my favorite performance of his. I know a lot of people are talking about the Joker, but I think a lot of people don't realize how nuanced his performance is in this movie. It's just beautiful and really heartfelt and has one of the best breakups on screen ever. Scarlett Johansson's final goodbye to Theodore Twombly just wrecking me every time. Number three, Before Midnight. It's really hard not to talk a lot about this movie and the whole series, so I'm just going to bring up the hotel fight and the way it's resolved is just one of the most amazingly real and provocative and hilarious. This movie is just real as fuck and it's amazing. Uh, number two, Tree of Life. I've only actually seen this movie once and it was in the theaters and it had a really profound effect on me. So much so that to this day there are certain moments where the light catches your eye or just a certain way you look at the world. It's all been changed because of Terrence Malick and his crazy way of capturing memories and it's just one of my favorite movie going experiences. And my number one favorite movie of the 2010s is Arrival. I first saw this movie and I thought it was just okay. And I watched it again and again and again, and it got better and it got better. And it always was really, really awesome to me. Then this year I had a kid. Now I can't even think about the movie without it bringing up all the emotions that is tied to having a child in your life. It's incredibly thought-provoking and emotional in ways that I never thought film could resonate to me before. I think if you've seen this movie or you're contributing to this list, or even if you're listening to this podcast, you already know how amazingly effective and smart this movie is. It's my favorite movie of the 2010s. Congratulations to Oscar and Matt for 300 episodes, and here's to another 300 more. Cheers. Matt, I love this list. Not 
not in small part to the fact that we have three movies in common with my list. So I appreciate that. You know, I'm looking on here and, you know, every movie is is more or less a masterpiece. I'm happy to see The Trip on here. Yeah. Uh, I, I, I fucking love The Trip and its <laughs> subsequent sequels. I mean, I guess that is a franchise technically, right? It is. As a matter of fact, I think we're going to get The Trip to Greece in 2020, oh, that's which exciting. I couldn't be more excited for. Coco, I think, is without a doubt the best Pixar movie of the decade. Would you agree with that? Uh, we gotta re- we gotta remember, Toy Story three came out in 2010, right? Uh, yeah. So, <laughs> okay, Coco's better. <laughs> okay, wow, hot take. Alexa had a hot take on that too. <laughs> Talking to me. Coco released in 2017. Directed by Lee Unkrich. As one of the world's biggest Marvel superfans, I was, I gotta be honest, I was kind of expecting to see, you know, Captain America Winter Soldier on there, perhaps. Um, but yeah, really, the only, you know, nominal Marvel movie is, is Spider-Man Into the Spider-Verse, which is kind of unimpeachable, yeah. right? It is unimpeachable, and we'll, we'll, you know, we can talk more about that later. Happy to see both her and Under the Skin yeah. uh, on this list. Under the Skin is a movie that I saw in the theater and haven't watched since, not because I didn't <laughs> love it but because it is it's a lot quite the undertaking it's it, it's a lot to to sort of deal with and grapple with in the moment and yeah it's not a movie you're sort of you, you can half pay attention to you got to be in on that and her i mean that's uh, i love her and I, I i'm surprised that i haven't seen it on as many lists not just here but sort of in general i think that movie is going to age really really well and it's our first entry uh for before midnight yes uh, when i look at ryan's list i just think to myself like oh there's there's so many films on your list that just barely missed mine. I won't spoil what they are, but there's a few on there that I almost feel jealous that he gets to represent them, and I don't. It's <laughs> like, oh, I wanted that. I wanted that. I wanted that to represent me. It's tough, man. It's tough to keep it down to 10. Wonderful list. Also, I got to say, not to call the guy out, but when Arrival first came out, I was on board immediately. And I remember we didn't see it together. You know, we both saw it opening weekend, and we I remember have, us having a long phone conversation about it, and he wasn't sold. He wasn't into it. He wasn't on board. He felt that there was too many kind of leaps of faith. It was asking too much of the audience and he didn't think that it all like gelled and came together. And I remember saying like, I don't know, man, I think it's kind of a masterpiece. And, you know, it ended up being my number one film on my uh, top 10 of 2016 list. And slowly but surely over the course of the last three years, we've talked about it more and we've talked about it more. And he's since had a child. And uh, we went out to dinner the other night and we basically just talked about Arrival for like three hours. (laughs) One week later, he sends me his list and there it is, number one with a bullet. During our Arrival review on the podcast, I think I was the same way almost where I, I wasn't fully on board right away. But I didn't have a child, but it has grown on me quite a bit. And it's a movie I've been thinking about a lot. I just read the uh, short story compilation by the guy who wrote the the short story for Arrival. So I read that short story. Time of Your Life, is that what it's called? Yeah, and it's, it's, a, it's an incredible short story. And it's also remarkable that they were able to make a feature film based on it. And, and this movie grows with me every time. And, and it's one of those films that I keep sort of reflexively putting back on. Uh, when I just want to want to sit back and, and really let something wash over me. So it's one of my most rewatched movie, movies over the last three years. And, uh, you know, I, I think that that's one of the biggest compliments you can give to anything where it just keeps growing on you, keeps getting better. So I'm sure we're going to talk a little bit more about that later. <laughs> yeah, I got to say it's it's a real emotional enema movie for me. Like it's just if I if I really got to just kind of like let the waterworks go. Sometimes all it takes is just like rewatching the last 10 minutes of it. 
and that incredible Max <sighs> that that Max Richter song. And it's just like mm-hmm. I, I'm not a parent, but it it may be the movie that has like sold the idea of parenthood to somebody who has often thought about the fact that he may potentially never be a parent. <laughs> there's, there's a lot going on there. <laughs> Needless to say, this is not the last time this movie is going to come up in this conversation. All right, let's keep going. Let's keep going. Next up, Brooks Yang. Dear, dear friend, uh, probably the person that I uh, text message with most in my life. Rarely uh, does a day go by when we aren't sharing whatever's going on in our in our daily lives. Uh, she's one of my favorite people, one of my dearest friends, and she's also my producing partner. I'm, I'm very proud to have gotten to make multiple films with her, including a, a feature that I directed, which would not exist if not for her dedication and hard work and brilliance. We don't have much in common when it comes to the movies that we like. I will say that. For as much as we appreciate each other and as close as we are, we oftentimes disagree. And so that's why I'm quite excited to hear where her list goes. Hey, uh, this is Brooks from episode 213. For my top 10 of the last 10 years, I've listed them chronologically because to me, by the time you get to the top 10 movies out of an entire 10 years, they all just feel like really good movies. So quibbling between number three versus number four feels like apples versus oranges. Honorable mention is a profit since IMDb lists it as 2009, but it got its U.S. theatrical premiere in 2010, so it's just barely part of the decade. The first proper one for me is is Queen of Versailles from 2011, a documentary about the largest single-family home in the United States. It's insane. The next one is The Hunch from 2012, Mads Mikkelsen. Really great. Next one is Gravity, which I'm sure you all remember very well. To me, it was just amazing, feeling like I was upside down and weightless. Force Majeure from 2014, which is just really dark and funny and, and beautiful in a lot of really funny ways. Room in 2015, I cried so much. Hell or High Water from 2016, a nice neo-Western. Lady Bird from 2017. Coco from 2017, again, I cried so much. The Favorite, 2018. I usually don't like Emma Stone, but Olivia Coleman makes up for it. In Searching from 2018, which I feel like totally didn't get the attention that it deserved. Anyway, um, thanks so much for including me, and good luck on your 300th episode. Okay, so I just need to I just need to uh, not preface because we've already listened to her recording. What's the opposite of preface? After deface. after face deface. <laughs> <laughs> Postface? Yeah, um, postface. Anyway, yeah, I need to postmortem or whatever. So Brooks was adamantly against the idea of ranking. And maybe that speaks to her personality <laughs> that she just couldn't play favorites. And so I was hard on her and I said, I know you don't want to do this, but just for the purposes of this exercise, will you please rank these films? Because she's like, well, if if I'm putting these 10 films together and I'm choosing them, then obviously I have you know equal amounts of respect for them. Like, point well taken. <laughs> I appreciate <laughs> Please rank them. So here is her ranking, which I forced her to do after she'd recorded. Number 10, The Favorite. Number 9, The Hunt. Number 8, The Queen of Versailles. Number 7, Lady Bird. Number 6, Hell or High Water. Number 5, Coco. Number 4, Gravity. Number 3, Room. Number 2, Searching. And number 1, Force Majeure. Searching, number 2. Crazy, right? That's crazy. Uh, that movie is pretty darn cool. 
I've never seen it. You've never seen it? Wow. I've never seen Searching. It is a triumph of an experimental form, and it's crazy that they pulled it off. And I, I, I totally understand having that movie rank high on, on one's list. It is unique, which is hard to say about anything these days. So kudos to Brooks for, for having that on there. Other than that, I mean, I, I really like all these movies. I mean, Gravity, it's not a home movie. You know, it's not a movie you're really going to put on at home. But Theatrical Experience was something that... Uh, uh, I don't think I'll ever forget. Got to respect Koran for for making that happen. Plus, if you know Brooks, I mean, she she came on for Pirates of the Caribbean, Dead Men. She came on for Pirates of the Caribbean, Dead Men Tell No Tales of all films, and uh, <laughs> yeah. she had no good things to say about that movie because it's not a good movie. But if you know Brooks and you know her personality, the fact that she would include something as kind of mainstream as Gravity, I mean, of all the things on her list, that was the one that surprised me the most. And I think it just speaks mm. to the fact that that movie just to so many people and moved so many people. It was one of those movies that just kind of like reached across the aisle, right? Koran's one of those guys who can play in both sandboxes. He can he can do Roma, but he can also do Harry Potter, right? And yeah. Gravity was maybe, I'm not saying Gravity is necessarily his best film in my estimation, but it is, it's the perfect Venn diagram between the two Korans, I would say. I agree. All right, who's next, Matt? Next up is the aforementioned Brian Barini, one of my oldest dearest friends. We were roommates for a number of years. We went to Loyola Marymount University together, and he was also the first person who could really match me movie for movie when it came to just pure endurance watching. (laughs) Brian and I would like jam through Braveheart and Schindler's List and like Magnolia in one night. And uh, I'm not saying we were necessarily sober for that entire uh, screening schedule, but running time was no object when it came to the things that Brian and I would watch together. Many long, late nights watching, you know, Boogie Nights and Magnolia back-to-back with one of my all-time favorite people and closest friends, Brian Barini. A lot of Domino's pizza ordered. To say the least. I'm very excited to hear what he has to say. He came on for our recent Insider episode, and he also contributed to our AFI Top 100 Countdown on our Saving Private Ryan episode. Hopefully he'll be back very, very soon. Let's hear what he has to say. This is Brian Borini's top 10 movies for the last decade for We Like Movies. So I will quickly go through my honorable mentions in no particular order. The Master, Inception, The Lobster, Moneyball, and The Nice Guys. So jumping straight to the top 10, we have at number 10, MacGruber. This is one of the funniest movies ever made, uh, certainly in the last decade. Will Forte is amazing. Val Kilmer really just crushes it as Van Kunt, the nemesis. We quote it all the time between Susie and I. In fact, our internet right now that I am recording this and sending this to you on is called KFBR392. Number nine is Exit Through the Gift Shop. So this is the Banksy documentary that came out at the beginning of the decade. I think it was a precursor for the podcast docudrama culture that is pervasive right now. And it's also just really funny and entertaining. We also, as a side note, had a very funny theater experience. This was playing at a second-run theater, and we went to go see the Werner Herzog Bad Lieutenant starring Nick Cage. We went into the theater, and it was actually the 1980s Harvey Keitel Bad Lieutenant. And about five or ten minutes in, when he is smoking heroin and or crack and having sex with nuns and walking around naked, uh, we turned to each other and said, should we leave this movie? So we talked to the box office, and after making fun of us, they let us in to go see Exit Through the Gift Shop, uh, which was very memorable as well. Um, So moving forward, number eight, Blue Jasmine. Uh, This is Woody Allen's presumably last great movie. It also takes place in San Francisco, which is where I live. So there was a lot 
of talk when this was being made. Everybody got to see their neighborhood and the place that they go. And um, it's also a fantastic movie. Kate Blanchett is amazing. Love this movie. Love Woody Allen. Problematic though that may be. Uh, number seven, Francis Ha. So Noah Baumbach is probably the successor to Woody Allen. Um, very East Coast, very relationship driven, has long takes, very authentic feel. This movie being black and white, obviously is evocative of Manhattan, and Greta Gerwig is hilarious. Just couldn't say enough good things about this. Number six, Whiplash. Uh, so this was a phenomenal theater experience. Um, I think we saw it maybe two or three times. J.K. Simmons is my guy. He was Skoda on Law & Order. Longtime fan. It also just focusing on musicians. I am a poor musician, but still can appreciate the dedication that these very serious musicians have. So loved seeing it. It's also great to see jazz music in pop culture uh, that is well received after the debacle of swing music in the 90s. So moving on with music, we have in number five, Inside Lewin Davis. Between this and Hail Caesar, for Coen Brothers, I made myself a rule that I could only have one film per director, and so Inside Lewin Davis made it. This is actually probably a better film than Hail Caesar, but I think Hail Caesar is a little underrated and immensely entertaining. But Inside Lewin Davis, Oscar Isaac put him on the map, made him a superstar. He is unbelievably great in this. The scene where F. Murray Abraham tells him he doesn't see money, and he just stares at him. Amazing acting. Also put Adam Driver on the map. Couple of Star Wars guys getting together. Moving on, number four, Interstellar. The perfect type of movie for me. It is science fiction, but it's based in reality, kind of. Um, it's set in the near future, not the crazy Star Trek super future. It has complex ideas that are sort of made accessible. And the score is fantastic. Saw this in theaters a few times. Also, the relationship between the father and the daughter uh, has aged very well for me personally. And this is the height of the McConaughey. Loved, loved Matthew McConaughey always, but uh, loved the McConaughey as an American cultural phenomenon. Number three, Phantom Thread, PTA. Coming in at number three might be a little disappointing. Probably the best filmmaker, uh, in my opinion. This is a personal film for us. We saw this in theaters a week before our daughter was born and actually named her Alma based on this movie. And not only that, but after she was born, about a month or two later, we were talking about whether we should be calling her Alma or Alma and actually looked at a clip from the movie to decide how does Woodcock call Alma and it is Alma. So that is why my daughter is named Alma. Number two, The Social Network. Probably a perfect movie in the sense that every minute and every scene is entirely rewatchable and entertaining and fascinating and extremely well acted. Eisenberg and Sorkin and Fincher is a potent combination and they do a fantastic job. And the score is also incredible. Love to put that on in the background anytime I'm doing work or anything serious. And then last, if you couldn't have guessed it, The Grand Budapest Hotel. Best movie of the decade. Maybe my favorite movie of the century. Love this movie. Love Wes Anderson. He might not be the best filmmaker of all time, but he is probably my favorite filmmaker of all time. Grand Budapest is very, very funny and beautiful and tragic and thrilling. He does a great job of actually bringing action and uh, excitement to this one, which he had toyed with in previous films, but this one I think he really does a good job and not in a slapsticky way. It also combines his stop-motion stuff with live action very well. And then at the end, they just sort of unceremoniously kill off Ray Fiennes and Zero's wife and daughter get killed some years later and they just kind of gloss over that. It's very tragic and it also has the story within the story within the story aspect, uh, which is which is fun and a very Wes Anderson sort of thing. So I have to say that for the past decade, my movie viewing has decreased tremendously particularly going to see movies in theaters. So the vast majority of these movies I saw on my iPhone with headphones in while a child may or may not have been sleeping in my lap. And I probably broke it up over three or four sessions. So these 10 movies, maybe just the 10 
that I have seen in theaters straight through front to back. So um, thank you for having me on the podcast. Love the podcast, Oscar and Matt. Can't wait to hear what your top 10 are. May you have another great 10 years of your podcast. Looking forward to listening to it. Thanks, guys. I love this list, top to bottom. <laughs> kind of crazy that we have two MacGrubers. We have 10 <laughs> smart, incredible people coming on the show, and two of them put MacGruber in their top 10. I do think MacGruber is fantastic and riotously funny. I wouldn't put it as my number one comedy of the decade, but I, I get it. I'm not mad at it. Uh, in fact, I'm ecstatic that it's on two people's lists. Two people who do not know each other. Two people have contributed MacGruber. No one has contributed The Master or Birdman or 12 Years a Slave. <laughs> or Roma. Yeah, Roma, but, but MacGruber is well represented. Uh, great list, except for uh, number four, Interstellar, which should be on anyone's <laughs> list, but that's okay. That's okay. I've said enough things about Interstellar. First Nolan on this list. Interesting that it's Interstellar, a movie with a very sort of complicated reputation. You know, can't argue at all at the top of the list. We'll get to that later. I love Inside Lewin Davis being on here. Mm-hmm. First Cohen representation, am I right? Yeah. Yep, you're right. Maybe the only. We'll see. And uh, Blue Jasmine, you know, definitely the best Woody Allen film of the last 20 years, I would say. I think it's superior to Matchpoint and to Midnight in Paris. So also a movie that was kind of like on my short list and I really wanted to include it. Brian Brini's kind of the guy who, I wouldn't say he introduced me to Woody Allen, but we sort of came to our appreciation of Woody Allen together. There was a point during college where we just kind of like jammed through 35 Woody, Woody Allen movies together over the course of like two years. And so it mm-hmm. sort of warms my heart that, that we both have such an affection for Blue Jasmine, which I really think is head and shoulders above anything the guy has made since the 90s. It's, it's truly a, a special movie. And uh, I love having Exit Through the Gift Shop on there. That's, that is certainly one of the best documentaries of the decade. Uh, just snuck in in 2010. Uh, I remember just being absolutely enthralled and amazed the first time I saw that. Great list, Brian. Good work. Next up is um, Ben Goff. He is a gentleman who I went to uh, went through Columbia's uh, MA Film and Media Studies program with. One of the single smartest people I've ever met. Listening to Ben Goff talk about films expound about films lecture about films uh there's something aspirational about it like i listen to him and it's like i i someday i want to be as eloquent as this guy like i need to take all sorts of notes i need to have note cards i need to be prepped and even so it's still very difficult for me to not sound rehearsed whereas uh, ben just completely throws it away and yet is one of the most eloquent guys you'll ever hear talk about film he's a historian he's a theorist he's an unbelievably smart and interesting dude he came on and was our city poitier uh, expert during our afi top 100 countdown conversation about in the heat of the night i expect very big things from this list thank you oscar and thank you matt for inviting me back to the we like movies podcast i enjoyed last september being on um, as a part of y'all's afi top 100 countdown for in the heat of the night one of the highlights of that year thankfully invited back again for uh looking back at the decade and counting down our top 10 films so let's get started right away um i do have to include honorable mention one of the rules was that we could not include movies that had not been released in theaters um all the movies had to have a theatrical release. But I did have to include Christian Marclay's The Clock, which was a museum exhibition, which was a 24-hour film each 
shot referencing whatever actual time of the day it was. Um, so if you stepped into the exhibit at three o'clock, um, you'd see a shot of a McDonald's commercial from the 1990s with a man who wears a watch that has uh, three o'clock as its time. Um, and so the beautiful thing is that you could watch it at 24 hours and know what time of day it was. Um, so a beautiful piece of found footage cinema and also just a great piece of a museum art. It did not receive a theatrical release, but I had to include it. But to move on, number 10, Ezra Edelman's OJ Made in America. I know a lot of people think that this is a TV show that would didn't win an Oscar, and I did see it in a movie theater, Museum of the Moving Image. I've never had a more visceral experience than watching O.J. Made in America, um, and those feelings have stuck with me since then. Number nine, I've got Nadine Labaki's Where Do We Go Now, a film from 2011 based on Aristophanes' Lysistrata. You might have heard Labaki's name from her film last year, Capernaum, though I prefer um, the 2011 film. A movie that at one point in time is a musical about women singing songs about putting hashish in brownies to to molly their or mollify their husbands um but also then at the same time to then throw you back across the spectrum um and talk about the realistic pain that's happening from the religious warfare that's happening in, in lebanon um and to be able to be thrown across that spectrum so beautifully and fluidly um is why that makes my list at number eight i've got terrence malick's tree of life malick is a philosopher first and filmmaker second um which is why i believe some of his more recent films have sort of gone off track a little bit. He might have been a bit cursory with his filmmaking practices, though I think Tree of Life is the perfect mixture of both to ask about our own biological origins and where we go when we die and what happens in the middle. At number seven, I've got a film from this year, Joe Talbot's The Last Black Man in San Francisco, written and starring Jimmy Fails as Jimmy Fails, the character. On its surface, the film is about gentrification. Though on a much deeper level, it is about the facade and the face work that we portray when we want to be accepted by groups. And Jimmy Fails, as the actor, um, is constantly being thrown across the spectrum of wanting to be accepted by um, the white urbanites of San Francisco, but also needing to be accepted by the black community that he came from um, and finding himself always in the middle and never on um, either side of that. Which then is a nice transition into my number six film, which is Barry Jenkins' Moonlight. On one hand, a great film about the face work that the contemporary man puts on both as human males, um, as African-American males, and as queer males, um, and any combination of those, and just the difficulties that come with that. A society that's asking you what masculinity is and requiring you to give an answer. But then also I have to include it on my list because boy is it the epitome of the little engine that could. Starting out in the back corner of the Telluride Film Festival and then making its way into Faye Dunaway, not believing that it could have won Best Picture. And here we are today with it as a part of that great canon of Best Picture winners. At number five, I've got Greta Gerwig's Lady Bird. In its most purest form, Greta Gerwig is a great director. We have come to assume director and associate that word with Kaida Cinema's idea of the auteur, though Gerwig is just an amazing director of actors, performances that she gets out of them. The blocking and staging is in its most pure essence, great directing. And again, like most of these films, just the juggling of the sheer humor of life, the funny situations that we find ourselves in, but also the deep sadness, consistently wrestling with those two ideas, um, because that is life itself. At number four, I've got Paul Thomas Anderson's Phantom Thread, not only in its aesthetic approach to the, the desaturated purple throughout the film, but then also amazing performance from Daniel Day-Lewis. I really don't think I have a more favorite 
performance from this decade than Daniel Day-Lewis in Phantom Thread. And number three, I've got Wes Anderson's Grand Budapest Hotel. I really don't know what else to say about this film um, that hasn't already been said both about the movie and about Wes Anderson himself. To watch one of his movies is to see someone who is so careful and passionate about their craft and meticulous, never to a fault though, out of it comes a great film object um, and a beautiful piece of art. At number two, Greta Gerwig's back on the list, those as an actress in Francis Ha. There's not a more malleable film for me in terms of each time I watch it, I get something else out of it. Whether it's Noah Baumbach's dialogue or his use of non-diegetic sound, Gerwig's performance, or just the story itself. Either watching it as someone who is maybe like Gerwig, trying to be a bit of a bohemian in a world that continues to reject those types of people, but then also then watching it three or four years later when I moved to New York and it having a new inspiration on me or watching it this year with a new group of friends who found their own things in it. Um, and I'm sure that in five years, I'll rewatch it again um, and find more new things about it that that I just I can continue to pull out of it. Um, and at number one, it has to be Richard Linklater's Boyhood. Never has a movie so physically and emotionally and spiritually moved me. Um, so much so that the person I saw it with asked me if I was okay when we were in the theater because I was crying too much. Linklater maps Mason Jr.'s growth and his story with my own story. Um, Linklater has Mason Jr. start kindergarten in 2000, um, which is when I started kindergarten as well. And so being able to watch my life on screen of just a boy, a, a white kid growing up in, in Texas um, was really powerful for me. And when I emerged from that movie, really gave me a sense of that everyone deserves to see their story on screen and everyone deserves to see their life play out on screen like that because it is, it's powerful when it happens. So with that being said, those are my top 10 for the decade. I'm looking forward to um, what everyone else comes up with. And I want to thank Oscar and Matt again for having me on We Like Movies now a second time. Um, and I hope that I'm on again sometime within the next decade so we can do this again in 2029. Holy shit, Matt. That guy's good at talking. <laughs> we should probably all... We should just quit. What am yeah, I doing? Yeah, we should just all quit. Why should we bother, right? Just let him talk for 60 minutes every week and we can put that out as We Like Movies and we'll take the profits. How about that? I mean, as somebody who has endeavored to record a couple of episodes by myself over the course of the last 10 years and has struggled. I remember the aforementioned Brooks Yang was was trying to be charitable when she gave me a review of one of my solo episodes and she was like, yeah, you did a good job. I think you and Oscar are better together. <laughs> You're exactly right. It's it's very, very difficult to, to do this by yourself. A lot of our contributors this week have expressed that to me as well. It, it's tough and it can be a little bit nerve wracking and embarrassing and a lot of us struggle with the sound of our own voice. A, I appreciate everybody making the effort to do it and B, Ben really sets the bar unbelievably high. He's 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 very, very good at this. So along with somebody like Karina Longworth who does You Must Remember This or um, what's the name of the of the woman who did Serial? Oh, Sarah Koenig. Exactly, yeah. Or, or the guy who does The Daily for the New York Times. This is a very difficult thing to be able to do by yourself. So kudos to you, Ben, for being able to uh, hit it out of the park so spectacular. Okay, so OJ Made in America, controversial, but I gotta be honest, I'm surprised that it's taken us this long to get to that film, right? Because it technically counts. Gotta be one of the most critically acclaimed films of the last 10 years. It was on my list in 2016. It was. I had it on my list 
for the decade for a long time over the past week, and it, it, it barely got bumped off. It is number 11 on my list. Hmm. I, I think the tiebreaker was that I know it technically counts, but it's 10 hours long, 12 hours long, right? So it, it's hard to rationalize it as a feature film. It just didn't seem right next to all the other movies. So I'm upset that I couldn't put it on my list. I think it is an absolute incredible piece of art. It's, it's an important film. It says a lot about America. It says a lot about our last, you know, 40, 50 years of existence. I'm glad someone put it on there. Have, have you spent the time to actually watch the whole thing yet, Matt? Oh, yeah, yeah. I, you know, I, I watched oh, the, okay. I, I'm a, you know, I'm an Oscar completist, so yes, I course, watched the course, entire thing. I think I watched it on Hulu, actually. I didn't I didn't see it in the nice. theaters, but I appreciate the fact that Ben did watch the entire thing in the theater. Yeah, that's crazy. And it counts, you know, it, it, it counts. It was, it was in movie theaters, and they have since adjusted the rules for the um, documentary category to keep something like that from happening again. <laughs> but it <laughs> yeah. is, it's an incredible piece of work. Like, it's, it's an incredible work of art that took, that obviously took many, many years to put together. Where Do We Go Now is a movie, frankly, that I had not heard of. Seemingly didn't get incredible reviews either. And Ben talking about it makes me want to just check it out as soon as possible. 52% Rockin' Tomatoes. I mean, that's, that's crazy. I can vouch for it. I actually saw it at Columbia. It's an amazing movie. It's a musical. It's a Lebanese musical. It's absolutely wonderful. Like, it's an unprecedented, totally bizarre, surreal film. I, I really, really responded to it. And then um, as a result, I was extremely excited for Capernaum, which was the film that uh, Nadine Labaki made last year. So she's an incredible talent. Uh, I love seeing The Last Black Man in San Francisco on this list. We talked about this, I believe, briefly earlier this year. A, a really great debut feature. You know, I think we both agreed it was a little messy at points, but incredibly interesting, very arresting, and wouldn't be surprised if it snuck on my top 10 list for this year. Well, speaking of this year, is this our first 2019 film? Oh, uh, Booksmart. Booksmart. Scott mentioned Booksmart. Yeah, Scott had Booksmart, I think. But I think besides that, yeah. So, you know, obviously one of the things we had to contend with in putting together all of these lists is that we wanted to get this out in time for our 300th episode, but that meant... No one had seen Cats! We, we, we reserved the right to uh, retroactively include Cats on this master list. Films take time to gestate. There are certain films that were low on my top 10 list of the year they represent, which are now high or even second or third on my list of the best of the decade. So art matures, right? Art gestates. Yeah. Art evolves. So it's, it's it's difficult. There There's a pretty good chance that there will be films that came out in 2019 that would have potentially ended up on these lists if we'd given it five years to gestate. There's a movie that both of us, Matt, have on our list that came out in 2019 in a certain spot that we, we have not talked about yet. You try to push against recency bias, right? It was really hard to place a, a movie that came out within the last few months even if you think it might deserve to be higher on your list, you sort of want to warn yourself and be like, okay, let's just, we, we have to sit on it. But there's one movie that was so good that just had to be on it. Well, it's funny you mentioned that because that film is about to come up on the list of one Dan Kelly, dear friend from college, spent the last weekend with him talking movies, watching Michael Mann films, watching Any Given Sunday again, a man of very specific tastes, first contributed to our uh, James Bond 007 series, mm -hmm. I believe. Yeah. One of the smartest guys I know, 
one of my all-time favorite people. Let's hear what he has to say about the last 10 years. My top 10 list of the 2010s. I think I really think there are two main themes in mine, and one is really corny stuff, and two is class strife. Uh, so yeah, let's get into it. Number 10, I have Brooklyn, which is exceedingly corny, but also lovely. Number nine, Parasite, which is very recent, but very gruesome and entertaining. Uh, number eight is a little bit of a curveball, but I think a dumb one that we can all appreciate in Fast Five. Uh, Number seven is Sorry to Bother You, which was a really just tremendous left field screwball uh, class struggle story. Then we have Shoplifters at number six, which is a really interesting um, Japanese film that covers some class issues, but also finding family and just magical story, despite the kind of oddness of it. Number five is Magic Mike, which is another fantastic story of people trying to find their way after the recession. Number four, getting into the corny stuff is Paddington 2. Number three is a little dirty film called Green Room. Number two is another one called Nightcrawler that is exceedingly dirty and just shows like the dark underbelly of culture in Los Angeles, which is really entertaining. And number one is Paddington 1, which is just a fantastic story. Matt, that is a uh, controversial list to say the least. <laughs> Both Paddington. I mean, controversial enough among Paddington fans to have Paddington 1 above Paddington 2, right? Exactly. Paddington 2, far and away the more critically beloved of the two Paddington so that's, I, I, I have to recuse myself because I've never seen either Paddington. I've heard great things. I'll, I'll get to it at some point. I love seeing shoplifters on here. That makes mm-hmm. me very happy. That was in my top five last year. I don't know. What else strikes you here, Matt? Second inclusion of Fast Five, yeah. which warms my heart. Dan was an Another person like Brooks who really pushed back against the idea of having to rank. And his original list was just his favorite film from each year over the course of the last 10 years. And I said, Dan, I appreciate that. I appreciate the fact that you're passionate about that list, but I'm going to need you to rank them. And so he did it under protest, uh, which makes me wonder <laughs> if that had anything to do with how his eventual list <laughs> shaped up. But yeah, there's some things on there, you know, all Paddington's aside, which I also have to admit, I have not seen either of. And that makes me feel like a real Philistine because Paddington 2 was amongst the three or five most critically acclaimed films of last year. Yeah, something like Green Room which is a movie that I respect and I know a lot of people adore, but it's just one of those movies that I watched. I'm like, that's impressive. I'll probably never watch that again. Like it really, really got under my skin in a way that I didn't like. Or Magic Mike which I think is a little bit controversial considering that Magic Mike XXL probably a little more critically acclaimed than the original. Oh, I gotta be honest, not crazy about either Magic Mike, but I have seen Magic Mike XXL come up on a bunch of critics' lists best of the decade, which uh, frankly surprised me. Another film that uh, that falls smack dab in the middle of the reconnaissance. I also have to uh, call out Scott Henderson and Brian Barini, both of whom mentioned the reconnaissance yeah. in their uh, in their recording. So obviously a very a very significant pop cultural phenomenon that's happened over the course of the last ten years. That's part of the we like movies drinking game. Every time we mention reconnaissance, you take a shot. And then of course Parasite, the 2019 film, which Dan and I had a long conversation about the other night over martinis. Yeah, I mean, I really like of the films that have come out in 2019. It seems to be the one that is that is inspired the most just immediate passion. It's so good. We don't need to take years to think about whether this is one of the most important films of the last decade. Uh, I've seen it multiple times in a theater already. I absolutely fucking adore it. I think it's an all-time classic. I, I had to, like I said, I had to put 
it at 10 because I didn't, you know, I, I feel like recency bias, you have to push against it. But it's got everything I could ever want in a movie. I mean, it, just the, the social commentary alone, plus being absolutely hilarious and being an incredible thriller and a movie that you have no idea what the fuck is going to happen next. Like, I've never been constantly surprised by a movie like that in a long time. But we can get to that, you know, in just a second when we go over <laughs> over our list, right, Matt? You and I have both given away our, our the number 10 on both of our lists, that's but fine. that's all right. Yeah. We got one more to get through before we get to our list, and that comes from the great Kendall Horn, an incredibly talented actress who I was fortunate enough to get to work with on a short film that I directed a number of years ago. Uh, we hit it off. We became friends. We saw Gone Girl together in the theater. Uh, by the time I saw Gone Girl with Kendall, I had already seen it once by myself, and I can't tell you what a joy it was to get to spend most of the film watching her instead of watching the, the movie. <laughs> She's an actress. She wears her emotions. She, you know, she wears it all right there on her face. It was unbelievably fun to get to watch her react over the course of that two and a half hour long film. We subsequently went back to her apartment, called you up, and had a wonderful discussion about the film. It's honestly one of my all-time favorite we like movies episodes. It's it's one of the few episodes that I go back to often and re-listen. And most of our episodes, I can't stand to re-listen to because of technical issues, audio issues, the sound of my own voice, the number of times I say, um, a lot of them are, are, are somewhat painful for me. But that's one that I just go back to all the time because I think she's so much fun. She has such incredible insights, as do you. So Gone Girl episode, one of my all-time favorites. And spoiler, she includes it on her list. Now, Kendall was a little too busy these last couple weeks to record her top 10, so I'll just go ahead and run it down for her. Number 10, They Came Together. Number 9, It's a Disaster. Number 8, Moonrise Kingdom. Number 7, Arrival. Number 6, the aforementioned Gone Girl. Number 5, Get Out. Number 4, The Lobster. Number 3, appropriately, three billboards outside Ebbing, Missouri. Number 2, The Big Sick. And number 1, Whiplash. Matt, I love all the Michael Showalter content on here. Uh, makes me very happy. <laughs> My girlfriend and I have been going through a big wet hot phase watching all the TV shows, documentary, and then we just watched mm-hmm. They Came Together. Isn't They Came Together? Didn't David Wayne direct they Oh, Came did Together? he direct it? I thought I think, I think that might be a Wayne joint. Oh shit! Did he not write that though? Uh. He may. He may very. I mean, you, you know, Showalter may very well still be involved. I just think that might be a Wayne movie. <laughs> Sorry, I don't he, mean to call he, you out. He co-wrote it and produced it. Okay, there you go. Big sick lobster. It's a disaster. They came together. Even Moonrise Kingdom. I mean, she she has more comedies represented than I think anybody else on this list, which I appreciate. Big sick, I think, is incredibly good. I that's been moving up my rankings. That that came in as an honorable mention for me i think it's probably the best romantic comedy of the decade i i, I think it's absolutely terrific so i, I appreciate that being on the list i i, I like the, the the comedy centric here yeah really really interesting list man yeah the lobster was definitely something that uh, it, it was very difficult for me i was trying my hardest to find a place on my list because that's probably my favorite comedy of the last Ooh. decade, and uh, and when I tell when I tell my mother that she just absolutely bristles because that's one of the films that I recommended to her because I was so hot about the lobster in 2015, yeah. and I recommended it to her, and afterwards she, she immediately called me and chided me for recommending it. <laughs> She'll never forgive me for the fact that I put her through that trauma. For whatever reason, the lobster just really speaks to my comedic sensibilities. Lanthimos is one of those guys who really, along with Denny Villeneuve, came of age in the last decade, and it's been incredibly exciting to see. 
and, and a tour like that find a wider audience and then build up to the point where he gets a film like The Favorite nominated for Best Absolutely. Picture. I'm just so excited to see where that guy's career goes from here. I don't think Kendall was necessarily pandering to me by including Gone Girl on this list, <laughs> but I got to say it definitely warms my heart a little bit to know that the film ended up smack dab in the middle of her list. All right, Matt, is it time? I think it's that time. How do you want to do this? Do you want to go back and forth like we usually do, or do you want to just jam through one and then go to the other? What what, what should we do here? Uh, let's just jam through. I think this is already almost a two-hour episode. Might as well do it, right? Yeah. I'll, I'll go first, Matt. I'll, I'll let you. I'll give you the hammer. Number 10, Parasite, the aforementioned Parasite. I feel like this will, in retrospect, move up the list as the years go by. I think it's an all-time classic. I can't imagine it won't be my number one of the year, although there are a few movies I haven't seen yet uh number nine spider-man into the spider-verse happy to see this on a few people's lists might be the best comic book movie of all time it's definitely the movie that feels most like a comic it's an absolute delight every time i put it on visuals like you've never seen before in any animated movie hilarious front to finish heartwarming it's got it's the whole package everything you could want arrival we had discussed this earlier uh but that movie's grown on me tremendously second denis villeneuve movie in a row blade runner 2049 oh wow yeah look at that i didn't even i didn't even connect the dots there you had two Denny movies back to back Denny is kind of my favorite filmmaker right now I think to me Denny is what Christopher Nolan is to you yeah I mean you can make the argument that Denny had the best uh, of every filmmaker that we've discussed today Denny may have had the best decade right to go from relative obscurity I mean he, I mean, he started the decade with Ensemble which was you know nominated for the foreign film Oscar so he was certainly no slouch in his in his native Canada. But to go from that through a Blade Runner sequel to now directing Dune, I mean, that's a pretty meteoric rise, right? You know, I have a rival in Blade Runner, but Sicario is on my honorable mentions. And I think Prisoners... Enemy. Enemy is something else for people who haven't seen Enemy. Definitely give that a watch anytime you get a chance. So uh, I think this guy's an absolute genius, and I hope Dune makes money. <laughs> that's, that's all I'll say about that. Uh, number six for me is Before Midnight. We've talked at length about this series, and I think they get better as they go on. It's been fun to sort of age while these movies have come out every nine years. Hopefully we'll get another one in 2022. You know, the final scenes are perfect. The whole movie is 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 just, I think this is Linklater's best stuff. Is Midnight your favorite of the three? I think it's the best, but I think uh, Before Sunset's my favorite. Yeah, I'm with you. Uh, I also need to amend the earlier list that I gave of the filmmakers who have multiple films on these lists. Richard Linklater also has two films. Films, boyhood before midnight social network number five forget who's who said it but it is just basically a perfect movie i just rewatched the other day and every single scene is pure perfection by by fincher and sorkin and uh, trent reznor and atticus ross mad max fury road we talked about earlier i think it's maybe the best action movie ever number three i have phantom thread uh when we ranked our movies in 2017 matt uh because of seattle and because the movie didn't come out till christmas i didn't get a chance to include it on our lists so I hadn't seen it by the time we made our top 10s I think if we had made our top 10s had I seen it probably would have been number one PTAs one of the best filmmakers of all time and I think it's it's the most meticulous movie I've seen in a long time and Dan Day Lewis if, if that really is his last role holy shit way to stick the landing buddy number two Grand Budapest Hotel another one of my favorite filmmakers if not my favorite I think it's Wes Anderson's masterpiece I think it's kind of similar to what Inglorious Bastards is to Tarantino and number Number one, Hell or High Water. We discussed this 
quite a bit in 2016. Look at the doll boys all I know all jumbled up at number synergistic. one. Synergistic. I you know I, I I was texting Anders and he was like no fucking way. But I guess it just just goes to show where where our heads are at. I, I think it's it's the most subtle and effective social commentary in an you know otherwise enjoyable thrilling pitch perfect movie. Career best performances I think by Chris Pine maybe Jeff Bridges. Jeff Bridges is all time in this movie. Perfect screenplay as well. I I, I, I love a, a nice, I mean, maybe not ambiguous ambiguous ending, but an ending that doesn't wrap things up nicely. I, I can't say enough about Hell or High Water. I want to I wanna watch it every day. I wish every movie was Hell or High Water. I'll never forget just what an incredible gift Hell or High Water felt like yeah. that year, right? You know, like it kind of came out of nowhere. It premiered at Cannes and everybody was respectful of it, but it, it just kind of felt like this secret gift that we were given in 2016 it was so entertaining it was so unexpected it was so much fun and yet it was so intelligent as a hit it gets nominated for best picture i mean that movie just just feels like a gift david mckenzie not well known he hasn't done huge things since then but uh you know the, the rise of taylor sheridan has been an absolute delight as well. So I'm a little bit surprised it didn't make your top 10 list. I assume it's sort of an honorable mention. Well, just because you know what my top 10 list is doesn't mean everybody who's listening knows what my top oh, 10 God list damn it, is man. Too. I'm sorry. Sorry for ruining it. <laughs> That's okay. No, but I sort of just gave it away myself. I mean, that movie is truly special. And it's also one of my most revisited films of the last 10 years for sure. All right, here we go. Parasite, number 10. It's just unimpeachable. I mean, I've only seen it once, but just walking out of it the other day, feeling my entire body kind of vibrating and thinking to myself, like, that is just one of the most original things I've ever seen. It's a magic trick of a movie. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's it's four different movies crammed into one movie, but it doesn't feel it doesn't feel like we're suturing anything. It feels completely organic. It's just beautiful and funny and exciting and dark and violent and sad, socially incisive without being preachy. Yeah. It's it's just it's a miracle. It's a miracle of a movie. I, I'm so I'm so happy that it exists. I'm so happy that there's a halfway decent chance. I mean, I think there's a very good chance it gets nominated for Best Picture. There's a halfway decent chance it wins Best Picture, which is a really big deal. That's, it would be never something, happened man. before. It would be a coup. And I don't want to get ahead of myself, but the fact that it is far and away the most critically acclaimed film of 2019 speaks to where we're at and how good everyone's taste is and it's, it's pretty exciting it's pretty exciting to be to be living in the age of parasite uh number nine is a ghost story which uh, i have to agree with ryan julio it's just one of those turn it on and just let yourself go like just lose yourself to a ghost story it's a totally weird idea you've got uh, casey affleck covered with a bed sheet for the entire thing but between the hypnotic score the idea of compressing time sort of like a flat circle sense i just think it's an unprecedented work of art it, it taught me david lowry who's somebody that i've become a big fan of since seeing this film and uh, and it has uh, Rooney Mara eating a pie and then immediately vomiting said pie all in one shot. <laughs> it's, Impressive. It's, it's all I want from 21st century cinema, let me tell you. It, it's a tough sell for sure. Explaining this movie to people does not do it any sort of credit. You just you just got to give yourself over to it. And, uh, and I guarantee it, it'll be unlike anything you've ever seen before. Number... Eight, Bring Breakers. Bring Breakers. <laughs> Hell yeah, Matt. I love it. <laughs> Makes me happy. I'm kind of surprised that, that Spring Breakers was not more represented. Well, I, I kind of think Beach Bum's a better movie. 
Interesting. Wow. Hot take. <laughs> yeah, it is a hot take. I've watched Beach Bum like three times now. That will be on my top 10 of 2019 list. That's fair. We saw it together. I love that movie too. I just, I just think Spring Breakers is so brazen. I just love everything it's doing and i just somebody as somebody who's not even a big harmony corinne fan and has often found him to be somewhat exploitive in his endeavors uh, th- this to me felt like off-putting generally you no know, he's just had a very interesting career let's 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 be more charitable but mm-hmm. this to me was it was him finally honing in on sort of like the kernel of what he does best and sort of proving to us what he can do that no other artist can do at that level he and franco managed to just find i mean i i think it's the best friend Franco performance too. And Franco is another person who has sort of like a complicated history yeah. and a bit of a complicated career and um, is sort of persona non grata these days. But to me, it's like, oh, that that is proof of what Franco's powers are. Franco can do that. And so Franco will always be relevant because he can do that. Nobody else can do what he does in that movie. Yeah, it's just an incredible fever dream of a film. And I'm, I'm just so happy that it exists. Uh, number seven on my list is uh, Victoria, which is an obscure German film that I've been screaming about about for the last three years, for the last four years even. Nobody ever listens to me and nobody go, nobody goes and seeks this movie out, but I think it's the single best single take film ever made. And granted, that's a relatively small subgenre, subset of films. Victoria is shot in one take, but it never feels like a gimmick because the narrative is so strong and the performances are so strong. And by the time characters start to break down and by the time our titular character finally loses it two and a half hours in you're just like yeah i i'm buying this because i've literally watched you every step of this journey and i would lose it as well right whether she's losing it because of the fact that she's acting for two and a half hours straight without being able to stop or whether she's losing it because she is truly living inside the character that she's playing it doesn't matter it's all real it's all there on the screen it's just one of the most unbelievable technical feats i've ever seen i've still not seen it unfortunately do yourself a favor i'll do it i'll do it i promise it's an amazing movie. It's 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 a commitment, but I guarantee you it's worth your time. Number five for me is, I'm sorry, number six rather is Arrival. What more can we say about this movie that hasn't already been said by much smarter people than me? I, I think it's Denny Villeneuve's masterpiece. I think it's the greatest performance of Amy Adams' career, and it's just one of the all-time great tearjerker codas. I did not see it coming, and I just it just completely just washed over me, and I'll just I'll never forget that feeling of that coda the very first time I experienced it, and that Max Richter song, and just like okay, I I get it for the first time in my life. I I think I understand the appeal of parenthood or why people feel so compelled to become parents. I had been skeptical about it for basically my entire life up to that point, and this movie kind of like taught me like, oh, okay, yeah, that makes sense. I mean, it's it's a complicated decision, and this movie complicates it in very heavy ways, but by the end of it, I was like, all right, I'll, I'll never judge people for the decision to have children. In addition to that, it's a really cool alien movie, <laughs> you know? I always forget about the fact that it's a science fiction movie. Like, that to me is such an afterthought, right? Well, I mean, production design in this movie is incredible, and the character design... I, I read a review of someone who had it on, you know, in their top 10 list. They said it was the the most alien aliens ever put on film. And that's right. We've been so sort of uncreative with our extraterrestrial creations in film. And and these are the ones that like, okay, this is something new and something totally bizarre, but 
also believable. It's crazy. Yeah, I mean, the alien design is incredible. The, the All the stuff with language. I mean, to me, you know, the film is about 10 different things. It's about parenthood first, and then it's about language, and then it's about time, and then it's about relationship. You know, like, yeah. I, I think I would have to go down eight categories before I got to aliens, right? <laughs> <laughs> it's about so much more than that. But yes, it's a great science fiction film. It's it's shot by the incomparable Bradford Young, who's somebody I've been lucky enough to, to have spent some time with a few years back when he was the um, cinematographer in residence at um, UCLA. Incredibly talented and eloquent gentleman. Yeah, I just, I just love everything this movie represents, and I'm so happy that it is so well represented on all of these lists. Number five for me is Inception. This is probably the most on-brand Knudsen pick. <laughs> it's it's probably my favorite. It is my favorite Christopher Nolan film. Right. And the fact that it is number five speaks to what a competitive decade it's been. Yeah. It was fucking nominated for Best Picture. It's, it's, it's one of the most successful original blockbusters ever made. It is what I want out of mainstream filmmaking. It is what we will probably get less of, but Christopher Nolan still beats the drum for this kind of film, and he still manages to do it on this level level and god willing tenet does what inception did 10 years ago we just don't get enough of this and it takes somebody with the power of the nolan to be able to push a film like this into the end zone number four is the social network basically a perfect movie right what more can yeah, we say? Agree. Everybody loves The Social Network for good reason. Number three for me is uh, Son of Saul. Have you seen Son of Saul? I finally watched it, uh, I think, last year. Yeah. Filmmaker is Laszlo Nems. Sort of in the same category as Victoria. There is a gimmick involved, but it is so organic. It is so tied in to the subject matter. You watch the film and you're just like, yeah, I couldn't imagine this particular story being told in any other way. It is basically the single most intimate film I've ever seen. And by that, I mean, I I can't think of any other film that is as intimate with its main character as this film. Literally, the camera never gets more than about a foot away from our main character over the course of the running time. And it's, it's heavy. I mean, you know, this is my most pretentious pick for sure, but the movie backs it up. Its gimmick and its artsiness is completely backed up by how effective it is. It's a Holocaust movie. It's about this guy who feels that he may have discovered his son's dead body in the crematory in Auschwitz and he decides he's going to give his son the proper burial and it basically is an almost real-time adventure with him trying to transport his son's body to the place where he wants to bury him. You know, that sounds really heavy and that sounds really dark and it is, but it's also kind of an exciting adventure film. Like, I mean, it's kind of an action film or a a heist or even a heist film about this guy figuring out a way to smuggle this body to its final resting place. I've only seen it once, but it had such an effect on me. Basically, from the moment that the credits rolled, I was like, that's one of the greatest films I've ever seen. (laughs) There's no way that that doesn't end up on my eventual list uh, for this decade or maybe of all time. Number two is uh, Inside Lewin Davis. I don't know if I've ever identified with a protagonist (laughs) more than I do with the character of Lewin Davis. (laughs) I'm not necessarily putting myself in the same echelon uh, as an artist as Lewin, but I completely identify with the idea of somebody who aspires to be an artist and yet just can't make it work. Just can't break through that glass ceiling. Just can't put all the pieces together, just can't get his shit together, just can't monetize, right? Yeah. It's one of the saddest films I've ever seen 
but it is also one of the most relatable films I've ever seen. Honestly, if somebody put a gun to my head right now and said, what is your favorite Coen Brothers movie? I might say it. I might, pl- I might plant my flag, which is, I know it's saying a lot, but this 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 is this is like the Coen Brothers movie I wanted to take ownership of from the moment that I first saw it. Yeah, I mean, it's, it's Coen's at their most, I don't know, soulful almost. Definitely the high point of what's been an up and down decade after they kind of owned the 90s and the 2000s. The sort of trick they pull throughout this movie that comes to fruition at the end is really just absolute heartbreaking. Oscar Isaac blasting onto the scene here. I mean, I know he'd done other things, but became a real bona fide movie star uh, with this movie. And uh, yeah, I, I adore it. It's one of my one of my honorable mentions. One of the saddest moments in the history of film, and yet one of the most relatable moments in the history of film is F. Murray Abraham's reaction after sure. Lewin's a, a virtuoso performance. Yeah, right. But what? But the, but one of the things I love about the movie is that it's clearly respectful of Lewin's talents, and it clearly thinks that he is a decent musician. But the movie never goes out of its way to insist that he's a genius, right? No. You, you never feel that he is underappreciated as an artist. You never think like, oh my God, he's a genius. Nobody understands his genius. His talent is just perfect like it's just at the perfect level of being like oh this guy is really talented this guy should be successful it's not that the world is undervaluing his genius necessarily it's just that he is right at that line where it can go either way where he can either monetize it like justin timberlake or he can jump off a bridge like his former partner right and that's that's what makes this movie just transcendent to me and number one is Whiplash. Two music movies in your top two. I love it. It's true. I'm not a musician. But yes, two films about about artists. That's a good point. I, I never thought of it that way. What, what more can I say? It, it was my number one film of 2014. I think 2014 might be the best year of the last decade. I mean, it, it wasn't Damien Chazelle's first film, but it was my introduction to Damien Chazelle. And I remember vividly watching that film, jumping out of my seat the minute that his name popped up in the credits, clapping as loudly as I could, and thinking to myself, I think I've just witnessed a true master <laughs> s- sort of materializing in real time. Like, I think this guy may end up proving himself as one of the great filmmakers of his generation. Two years later, he became the youngest man ever to win the Best Director Oscar. <laughs> Not necessarily <laughs> co-opting his success by, you know, telling you how, how brilliant I was to have recognized that. It occurred to me pretty much immediately during the my first screening of that film. And and I think he's something truly special. And it's it's so dark and it's so angry and it's so violent and it is so confident. It barely missed my list. If nothing else, it has the best final scene of any movie uh, in, in the 2010s. The greatest climactic scene of the 2010s. Yes. 100%. Well, in the spirit of that, perhaps we should uh, we should count down the master list then. Matt, you want you want to describe how you uh well, it's just it's a it's a basic point system. Right. Yeah. Here's here's what I came up with. I was inspired by the uh, the Oscar preferential balloting system. Right. You know, we we all rank from ten to one in ascending order. The point system goes backwards. Number one is ten, and number ten is one. So. Our number one picks count for 10 points. Our number 10 picks count for one point. And so I organized the master list via that point system so that it, it wasn't necessarily it wasn't necessarily films that had ended up on the most lists. It had to do with where those films ranked. So you have two films that show up on five different lists. You have two films that showed up on four different lists. You have five films that showed up on three different lists. And you have one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight, nine, ten, eleven, twelve. 13 films that showed up on at least two lists, right? Mm-hmm. 
showed up on two lists, rather. Yeah. You got 11 films from 2010. You've got 12 films from 2011. You've got 10 films from 2012. You've got 13 films from 2013, appropriately. You've got 20 films from 2014, reinforcing my opinion that 2014 was the best year of the last decade. You've got 10 films from 2015. You've got 9 films from 2016. You've got 18 films from 2017, 11 from 2018, and 6 from 2019. You've got 120 total picks, right? We got 12 yeah. lists here. We each have 10 films, 120 picks. 22 of those films had multiple mentions. 62 of those films had a single mention. 84 individual films. Good diversity of films. Love it. Okay, so basically what it all comes down to is a 22-film list, mm-hmm. if you consider that we're going to rank every film that was mentioned at least twice. So number 22 on the list is MacGruber. <laughs> Two tenth place votes. I would also like to reinforce the fact that the master has not come up once, and yet we're talking about MacGruber as the 22nd best film. Or Roma, or La La Land, or any of these. Yeah, <laughs> right. great. Here, here are films that have not been mentioned. Manchester by the Sea, A Star is Born, Spotlight, 12 Years a Slave, If Beale Street Could Talk, Roma, La La Land, The Master, Birdman, or a single Tarantino film, with the exception of uh, Anders' uh, faux pas. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Par- uh, MacGruber coming in at number 22. Parasite, A Ghost Story, Coco, Spider-Man Into the Spider-Verse, Ladybird, Fast Five, and Moonlight tie for number 14. Francis Ha and Before Midnight tie for number 12. And as much as this breaks my heart, Inside Lewin Davis just barely misses the top 10 at number 11 with 15 points. That brings us to our top 10. Number 10 is kind of crazy. I love it. It is. Let's just get right into it. So number 10 is Nightcrawler with 16 points. A movie that I honestly saw once in the theater, haven't really thought that much about in the subsequent years. What's your opinion about Nightcrawler? I saw it once in the theater and was, I don't know if I've been more stressed out during a movie this decade. I mean, that th- that movie is is a lot to handle. It's not something I would enjoy rewatching. I remember being really appreciative of it though, and thought uh, Jake Gyllenhaal was pretty transcendent in that role. Yeah, agreed. And, and it was pretty much immediately critically acclaimed. Oh, yeah. You know, not not necessarily uh, decorated by the Academy Awards, but but it, it surprised me. I'm, I'm just I'm impressed that that movie has had enough of a legacy to make it onto a list like this. Interestingly enough, it only showed up on two different lists, but it ranked so highly on those two lists that it had to crack this. It had to crack the top 10. Number nine, Mad Max Fury Road. Lower, lower on the list than most uh, critics lists. I actually was a little bit surprised slash relieved. Number eight is Boyhood, which if memory serves was sparring with Birdman, which didn't show up on a single list. Remember, it was it was it was the war between Boyhood and Birdman in 2014. Whiplash was yeah. not part of the conversation. Weirdly enough, it was between those two films. I was never a huge fan of either, even though I respected both of them. But yeah, look at that. Boyhood, 18 points, number eight. I really like Boyhood. Uh, I think it's an incredible feat, but it's not a movie I really had any desire to sit through a second time. Sort of where I where I docked it. Not upset to see it on the list. Number. Seven, The Tree of Life with 19 points. Terrence Malick, definitely a critical darling, to say the least. The last Malick critical darling, I would say, right? Yeah. I know you're not a fan. I am actually a fan of Tree of Life. I like Tree of Life fine. I mean, there are moments that I think are uber pretentious, but I think it by far is the best movie of the decade. Uh, Number six, our beloved Hell or High Water with 25 points. Yeah. Only three instances showed up on your list, showed up on Andre's list, and showed up on Brooks's list. But the Doll Brothers really propped it up, yeah. Truly, yeah, the Doll Brothers, both with number one, yeah. The 10 points apiece, that 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 pushed it over the edge. 25 points for Hell or High Water, coming in at number six. Number five, Phantom Thread. Yeah. 
I mean, how about that? Like, I feel like we, for so much of this decade, we were talking about the master as maybe Paul Thomas Anderson's perverse masterpiece. I mean, I know he has said that he considers that the best film he's ever made and doesn't think he'll ever make a better film than that. But that that film didn't come up on a single one of our lists, which surprised the hell out of me. And people just absolutely adore Phantom Thread. I've adored it ever since I saw it the first time. I've watched it multiple times since. I think it's it's a technically perfect movie. Definitely my top two or three PTA movies. And I like The Master just fine. I think it might be my least favorite PTA movie, though. You like Inherent Vice more than The Master? I love Inherent Vice. <laughs> I absolutely love inherent vice. Yeah. Ask a stupid question, get a stupid answer. <laughs> Number four is the Grand Budapest Hotel. Only three mentions, all very high on those three lists, comes in with 27 points to secure number four. If you say that Rushmore is your favorite Wes Anderson movie, if you say that The Royal Tenenbaums is your favorite Wes Anderson movie, if you say that Grand Budapest Hotel is your favorite Wes Anderson movie, I mean, it's truly dealer's choice. But the Grand Budapest Hotel is really a film that just sort of crosses over, really crosses boundaries. It really gets people who claim to be not into the Wes Anderson thing, right? Yeah, we talked about it at the time, but this middle phase of Wes Anderson's career, I mean, I remember there being some backlash during the Darjeeling and Life Aquatic era, but you're absolutely right. Even the Wes Anderson haters came and saw the light after Grand Budapest Hotel, which 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 warmed my heart. Again, like I said, I think it is his his masterpiece, even if I have a soft spot for Rushmore and Royal Tenenbaums. All right, these top three, this was very close, I will say that. Number three showed up on five lists, number two showed up on four lists, and number one showed up on five lists, and it just came down to uh, where they ranked. Number three is Arrival. Good. <laughs> where it should be. It's a good spot for it. Number two is The Social Network. Uh, consensus. I mean, that you're going to have a hard time finding anyone say one bad thing about Social Network. It, it was my prediction for number one on this list before anybody had contributed, because it just seems like the consensus, right? Mm-hmm. Nobody doesn't like The Social Network. Everybody agrees that it probably should have won Best Picture in 2010. Yeah. And, and it does pretty much everything right. King's Speech has not come up in this conversation. <laughs> I'll, just, <laughs> I'll just put and that, that out there. that will be the there. last mention of King's Speech. Yeah. Exactly. Number one is Whiplash. Surprising. It is a little surprising. I'm elated because it's number one on my personal list. It was mentioned five times, and the points are 10, 8, 5, 10, and 6, because Kendall and I both had it number one. So it comes in at 39 points, puts it uh, seven points ahead of The Social Network. So how about that? I mean, that's another movie that you don't have a lot of haters of. I mean, for how dark and transgressive it is at times, it's universally beloved. Probably 12, 13, 14 on my theoretical top 20 list. So uh, I'm not upset to see it there, even though it wasn't on my list. I think it's fitting, given this podcast's love for for Damien Chazelle and how much we were (laughs) pumping that movie up back in 2014. You know, it's a small film. It's a modestly budgeted film. It was nominated for Best Picture and and, and won a a couple of Oscars. But that's pretty exciting that 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 such a tiny little movie would would have appealed to all all 12 of us in this way, right? It's crazy. I think J.K. Simmons' performance is going to go down history as one of the all-time greats. And... 
I'm due for for another rewatch, and it goes down smooth every time. And like I said, it's it's hard to argue with a movie that sticks the landing so well. Probably the hardest thing to do in a, in a great movie is to is to end on a high note, and that movie absolutely nails it. It's like what Robert McKee. It's what Brian Cox as Robert McKee says at the end of wow, uh, the adaptation, end. right? Wow, I'm in the end, and you got a great movie, Oscar. Do you have any honorable mentions? When it comes to honorable mentions, there's no need to reiterate films that show that have shown up on other people's lists. You know, like Ex Machina, for example, Under the Skin. These are movies that I wanted to include on mine, but because they were mentioned by other contributors, I didn't bother to put them as part of my honorable mentions. Do you have any honorable mentions that just broke your heart to not include? Yeah, Shoplifter showed up, right? Uh, Sicario, I I really love. Uh, The Handmaiden. Oh, yeah. There were iterations where that was on the list. The Big Short, oh, that made it. Mission Impossible, were there there any mentions of Mission Impossible? Not a single one. Not a single one. So I basically said all the 2010 Mission Impossibles because I think they're all fantastic and mm-hmm. if there's there's room for another action movie I would have put it on there but all my other honorable mentions have, have already been mentioned yeah I, for the most part I feel the same way the, the few that I would point out The Imposter which might be my favorite documentary, along with Free Solo, probably my favorite documentary of the last 10 years. The One I Love, which is just a film oh, that I, God, that I, I love just that movie. champion. Yeah. <laughs> like, I just, it might be one of my most rewatched films of the last 10 years. That's funny. My girlfriend and I were talking about that movie and say it's it's um, unbelievable the first time when you don't know what's going to happen. And then it's great the second time to sort of see how it all works. Then I think it kind of falls off after after that second time. I don't know. I probably watched it at least uh, eight or nine times, and it, it works well, for me every single Well, you're an outlier, time. Matt, in terms of rewatching movies. <laughs> So. Mission Impossible Fallout, I think, is the best Mission Impossible movie, and you know, certainly my favorite action film of, uh, along with Fast Five, of the last ten years. Certified Copy, which I know is one of your favorite yeah. films, I was surprised it didn't show up on your list. Yeah, that's one of it was on my second not so short list of about fifty movies. Yeah, I, I don't know. I mean, it's probably probably around twenty twenty five for me. Uh, I just rewatched it a couple months back, and it holds up holds up great. And another movie where sort of just a just a magic trick of a movie and uh, kind kind of underseen. I've seen it pop up on a few people's top 10, top 50 lists, but uh, if you haven't seen it, definitely definitely give it a go and, and don't read much about it first. A Separation, Asghar Farhadi's film from 2011. Just, you know, a movie that's so heavy and the first time that I watched it, I was just like, Jesus Christ, this is really a slog. And then I've since watched it a couple more times over the years and, you know, watched it in various classes, talked to various academics about it, and been like, yeah, this this movie's kind of a masterpiece. Like, this is really just one of the more impressive films to come out of this last decade. Oscar Farhadi is just such a master. Yeah, I mean, it's a hard movie to recommend to people, but I've never talked to anybody who watched it who wasn't duly impressed by it. Um, Enemy, which is probably my favorite Denis Villeneuve. Well, it's that on Arrival. It's that on Arrival. And uh, Enemy's... It's a miraculous movie. It's probably Jake Gyllenhaal's best You have best a rival on your list. And yeah, no, you're right. All right, all right. A rival is probably superior, but Enemy is is truly special. Talk about stickers. Talk, talk about great final scene. Oh, boy. Yeah, that's one of the, <laughs> I mean... It's one of the scariest final, like, penultimate shots in the history of cinema. Um, You know, Dunkirk, obviously very on-brand for me, but, uh, you know, I I think probably Nolan's third best film and uh, and was my favorite film of 2017. Cold War, of course, my favorite film of last year, which I just think is beautiful and sexy, devastating. Um, And then Toy Story 3, which I, I do think is the best Pixar film of the last decade and i think it's top five pixar for sure i love coco but i still think that toy story 3 is the best toy story film yeah i mean i, I kind of dock it just for being a, a sequel sure. just a little bit I, I think i love coco's super original so but it's, it's hard to split hairs there all right 
Matt, I think for our 300th episode, we've gone almost <laughs> 300 minutes, which is incredible. I think this this is our longest episode of all time, which is exciting in its own way. I hope there are still a handful of you listening. If you are, thank you and congratulations for, for uh, making it all the way through. This has been fun. And thank you for being with us. Whether you've only been with us for the last couple of episodes, whether you've been with us for the last decade, we just appreciate having you with us. And Oscar, I appreciate you because... Oh. I gotta say, like this is this is truly a gift that you gave me when we started this thing ten years ago, and this has been one of uh, one of the one of the greatest things, one of the things I look most forward to every single week. This is just one of the best things in my life. So I just wanted to say thank you for giving me this gift ten years ago when we embarked on this journey. It really means a lot, Matt. It warms my heart. It makes me feel great. Uh, I love doing it as much as we can. It is. Uh, it's just it, you know, it's just great fun to talk to an old buddy about something uh, we. Both both care about quite a bit just a just a wonderful intellectual exercise you know a few times a month it's a blast and you know any excuse to go out and watch as many movies as possible matt this has been we like movies 300th episode and here's to 300 more indeed say goodbye goodbye goodbye